0: Well, Ashley, this is it. We finished up the majority of canon of the first decade of Power Rangers. How do you feel? Jules, do you really want me to answer that? Well, it was kind of nice revisiting some of this stuff. Found out MMPR Season 1 wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Hey, you like TJ's
1: shirt in a can. I mean, he was surprisingly jacked. And then there's our beloved dumb babies at Lightspeed Rescue. Truly the highest himbo count in early Power Rangers history. And then there's Shayla's peak hour of consciousness. (laughs) Yeah, she would be that weird hippie mad about music with the word dick in it. And then there's Goldar.
0: Yeah, you're right. But at least we're not talking about fur. Shh!
1: Don't say his name. The house still smells. Hi, I'm Goldar Still Sucks, Ashley. And I'm Skull is a Famous Drag Queen, Jules. And this is Rangersplain, a podcast where Power Rangers expert Jules takes me, Power Rangers Neophyte Ashley, through the entirety of Power Rangers. And it's time to pack it in on the first Saban era finally, but not without a quick overlook at just what that entailed. Uh, I say quick because we know how long we can get talking.
0: (laughs) I know. I was saying, like, so we're actually going to go a little bit of the background of the history here more than we normally do on this podcast.
1: So let's talk about how this era began, uh, which, weirdly enough, with Marvel and Stan Lee?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so this is something I think that's starting to come about I know, like, one of our friends talked about it when, uh, like, we were going to the movies or something. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, shout out to Jacob. Uh, Uh, yeah. Uh, Toei and Marvel pretty much had this weird, like, this deal, uh, to, to basically produce these shows, and one of them actually was Japanese Spider-Man, we all know and love Mm -hmm. it, but the other part of the deal was, like, Battlefield J, uh, so, like, Stanley saw kind of what they did with Sun Vulcan and wanted to bring that over here.
1: Yeah. And I wish I had time to watch... By the way, I wish I had time to watch the 616 uh, documentary about the Japanese Spider-Man series before we got to watch this. But, hey, maybe I'll see it by the time this episode's out and have some opinions then. <laughs>
0: okay. So, yeah, it was just kind of like he, he just wanted to bring that over. They had that, like, relationship with Toei and... Uh, enter Margaret Letch. Yep. Who... Uh, I don't think it's talked about enough until very recently. Uh, She was uh, one of the executives at Marvel, I think dealing with television.
1: Yeah. So uh, this was, we got a lot of this information from the toys that made us episode about power Rangers, uh, which a lot of it is kind of glossing over major parts of the history. But what I found especially interesting was when they talked to Margaret Lesh and kind of the, the history of how she was really instrumental in bringing over Sentai to the United States. Uh basically when Marvel was working, um in like with animation and all of that fun stuff, uh and, well, with their television shows, uh, Stan reported to Margaret. Uh one day he brought her um son Vulcan and showed her what it was like. And I don't I don't think it was the pilot yet where he had like where they had overdubbed all of the Japanese dialogue with English. But he brought her, or like an episode of *Sun Vulcan*, and she's like, "Oh my god, this is hilarious and amazing! Let's try to sell it as a TV show." And basically, her and Stan shopped it around to various networks, but nobody wanted it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like really zany, and it really makes sense because it's like there's a lot of, a lot of tell like there's live action kids shows definitely weren't a thing.
1: Yeah, and definitely um, one that colorful mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and I think this was actually kind of what a part of the falling out of the Marvel deal uh, with Toye, because, like, after Battle Fever J, like, they just weren't really able to develop anything else, and then Stanley had tried to get Sun Vulcan over here in the United States, but that fell through, and then ultimately the deal just kind of expired.
0: Like, it Um, happens. Yeah. So now we're gonna enter in the next player in this, which is Haim Saban, as you know, where the name Saban comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, in about 1984, uh, he was in a business trip in Japan. He, he just caught Bioman on his television and just loved it. Now, here to talk about why Saban was over there is our anime expert and editor of the podcast, Kurt.
2: Uh, hey, usually I'm behind scenes on this, so this is new.
0: This is very new. Uh, we brought you on because you definitely have way more of a background in anime than both of us do. Like, so Kurt does like panels and stuff on Japanese pop culture, and he's he's way more in depth into it than than we are. So here is Kurt on Saban.
2: So, for those who don't know, Saban Entertainment was started by Haim Saban and his partner Shuki Levy, who had met in France and were both musicians for years. And throughout the 80s, did theme songs to a good majority of a lot of popular cartoons at the time, and then a lot of forgotten ones as well. Uh, Inspector Gadget, She-Ra, Mask, uh, just numerous ones. And then Haim also got into um, co-licensing a lot of animation from France initially, from Deke with shows like Mysterious Cities of Gold, Ulysses 31. And then he also started licensing actual anime and bringing over here. Uh, The first uh, Japanese series they brought over and produced in the U.S. was a thing called Macron 1, which took um, the anime Go Shogun, a giant robot show, and then another giant robot show named Zrungle, and combined them together and tried to do the whole Miami Vice thing of having covers of pop hits of the 80s playing throughout it. Finding clips of this of just the giant robot sequence forming in Go Shogun while a bad cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World or Susudio by Phil Collins plays is something.
0: That the, the beat-up wow. one was really weird. <laughs> but um, the
2: '80s, <laughs> even before Power Rangers existed, like some of the earliest TV shows I remember watching as a real little kid were. Saban produced dubs of anime. A lot of these aired on uh, Nickelodeon's Nick Jr. block in the very early 90s, like Grim Fairy Tale Adventures, Noozles, Little Bits. All these were just uh, originally anime, usually from Toei or uh, Nippon Studios. Hmm.
0: So, So, yeah, basically Saban was over in Japan at that time, period. So, you think it was probably like, starting to import anime over here because of stuff like Voltron?
2: Yeah, because Voltron had been a pretty good success, and it also had just taken two unrelated giant robot shows just to stretch out for syndication rights, the Mm -hmm. episode length, and had done marginally well. Around the same time that um, Saban brought over and did Macron 1, you had Harmony Gold releasing Robotech in 85. (sighs) Oh, Harmony Gold. Oh, fucking
0: Harmony Gold.
2: (laughs) Now, a lot of Saban's early success on their own with shows were the series they were licensing from Deke Animation in France. And that relationship continued throughout most of the late late 80s, early 90s. There might have been a lawsuit involved at one point between Saban and Deke over him selling shows to one of their former people. I'm not sure on the accuracy of that.
0: One thing we have learned through researching this episode and other things is that the world of television executives are very strange.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little cutthroat. And then going into the early '90s, uh, Bond got tapped, I believe, by Margaret Laresh, who was then became the head of Fo- the Fox Kids block uh, in its early days to mm-hmm. uh co- to help work on the upcoming X Men series in 1992, and I believe that's also where um, Saban and started working with Ron Wasserman, who went on, of course, to do music for a lot of early Power Rangers seasons as well. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, okay. Well, thank you, Kurt, for that. Um,
1: you, you can go back into the editing dungeon now. Yeah, you go back to the editing dungeon. Do
2: I have to? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: <laughs> 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 Alright, so yeah, that was, uh, Kirk
0: kind of going into more of, like, where Chaim Saban was at the time period. And he, just he, like, like it was said, he was mostly probably shopping around for, like, cartoons to bring over. Uh-huh. Found Bi- And just fell in love with Bioman and wanted to... Essentially, the idea was to, uh, put in American footage Mm -hmm. but keep the Japanese fight scene and that's where he he did get the rights uh as Kurt Cohen pointed out he 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 either was or that probably started his business with Toei uh because he was bringing over some cartoons so uh he he got the rights to uh Super Sentai to bring over and made a Bioman pilot
1: yes and uh this is actually currently lost footage um there are clips of it on uh, that you can find on the toys that made us, and I believe if you watch the uh, original Power Rangers pilot uh, from when they aired that, yeah, um, they do show some tiny clips of the Bioman pilot. Um, it's particularly interesting that something that I noticed immediately when watching the toys that made us when they showed that clip from the Bioman pilot is uh, martial artist Mark DeCascos played one of the characters. I believe he was Bioman Red. Or Bioman yeah, Red. He, yeah, he was. Actually, he played the Red Ranger. He played Victor. Victor. Uh, yeah, uh, I was... But, yeah, it is... Um, I went. I don't know how lost it is. I just don't know if it's a case of, like, Zabon has the only copy and just never released it to the public. Who knows? That being said, this is kind of... Like, Ashley
0: has the live-action Sailor Moon. This is kind of what I want. If you, you know, we are rangersplain at gmail. If you just want to drop this into your inbox, you don't have to say who you are. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, so
1: um, if you have, if like, if you have the Bioman pilot or the live action Sailor Moon pilot, which was made to kind of respond to Power Rangers. Um, yeah. Rangersplain at gmail.com. We want it. We want to review it.
0: We want to review it. Uh, so it's kind of things that we we've noticed from what we can see uh when they were called kind of the biorhythm people biorhythm mm-hmm. red biorhythm pink uh they all look hilariously 80s uh mm-hmm. that's the other thing it is like such 80s cheesy look like the one girl uh i love also that they have like it looks like uh biorhythm red is like scorpio and there's aries and all that so you know they they did the signs but yeah uh pi- the pink uh ranger of this like has
1: a like, that type of side ponytail, you know? Yeah. Uh, Something also interesting was that three of the characters in the Bioman pilot, uh, their names were later uh, adopted into Power Rangers. Uh, because you had uh, one character named Billy Cranston. Was he Biorhythm Green or rhythm Blue? He was Biorhythm Blue. Uh, okay. Biorhythm Green was
0: Zack Taylor. Later became Zack. Uh, Biorhythm Pink was Kimberly Hart, but it was spelled with an E. And yeah. then, uh, Biorhythm Yellow kept, you know, Trini, but last name was actually Crystal. Yeah. Uh, this also kind of debunks the whole myth that went around for ages, including it was even asked to, uh, Brian Cranston that Brian Cranston was the namesake of Billy. Yeah.
1: And, and so- this is, like, way before, I think, his voice acting career. Yeah, this was... Because... <sighs> I think he would have done the pilot based on the timeline that Saban gave. Uh, they were probably shopping this pilot around sometime in 80s. Like, started shopping the pilot around sometime in 86. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Pro- definitely myth busted um myth busted here on rangers plane <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so saban chopped the super 80s pilot around for years but kept getting um basically just kept getting denied but, um it didn't help like the only show around i think was like captain power or something and like i don't think that survived very long No, no, because apparently it was super expensive to produce. Um, I think I would like to maybe look at that one one day just to see kind of like, because it's like Proto Power Rangers, but further down the line. Further down (laughs) the line. Uh, But yeah, it's just like
0: live action kids shows were not a thing for the longest. It's like if you wanted a action show, you normally animated it Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's like kids shows normally were um especially like going into the 90s where like game shows that was right. your live action shit uh with the, like an occasion horror show yeah like i'm
1: trying to think it's because like i know are you afraid the dark would have been around nickelodeon around the same era yeah it came out like, before
0: i i actually researched that for the podcast it came out before yeah. like a right
1: before but that that was a canadian creation if i remember right so like you know, live-action children's shows in Canada were certainly a thing. But, like, United States, the, you know, market was still cornered on animation. And even, like, when we talk about the lost Sailor Moon, uh, live-action Sailor Moon pilot, it was going to be half uh, live-action, yeah, but the the all the transformation and battle sequences were going to be animated.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, basically, this is kind of an unheard thing. And just, just finally, you know, Margaret, as we mentioned, Margaret Letch, uh, was working with Fox Kids, as Kurt pointed out, you know, they were working on X-Men, and probably what I am Saban did, I'm gonna put the allegedly, allegedly, uh, allegedly, it's probably like, hey, I'm gonna shoot my shot finally on this pilot and see if she's into it. She watches it, and she's like, oh my god, I remember this, I fucking love this.
1: Yeah, and he was like, wait, you, you you know this? And I think that's where they kind of got into the whole, like, she tried to shop it with Sun Vulcan and Stan Lee back in the day. Yeah. Um, so she was just like, so she tells this whole story in The Toys That Made Us where she immediately approved it on the spot for, uh, like, 50 episodes. And then she went to her boss and told him, and he's like, what? No, you can't do that. Yeah. And, um... Basically, she had to make a deal with her boss right then, like, they had to go and take it to a test audience, and, you know, test audience full of children, see if they were going to enjoy it, and apparently, it did real well in the test audience. Yeah, like, Saban talked
0: about how, like, the test audience, you know, it was the old dial test and everything, where it's like, you turn it to the right if you liked it, turn it to the left if you didn't, and just as soon as it started, it was just, like, on the right all the entire time.
1: Yeah, this is according to Saban, but I, I keep mentally imagining it like the Poochie episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, you know, they had proof that the kids liked it. um, So they were able to, like, when they did, after they shot the new pilot, and they went and, like, so they made, started making the episodes even after they had recast the, um, the pilot cast. But they were having a real hard time selling it to affiliates. Uh, yeah. Just because, again, it was kind of an unheard property. They didn't really think it was going to be um, successful. So Margaret Lesh brokered a deal with affiliates where um, if they, if, like, if they took on the show and aired it during the Fox Kids block, um, that they would get a percentage of the toy sales.
0: Yeah. It was kind of unheard of. Like, that was a big deal. Like, you will get a percentage of the toy sales.
1: Yeah, and especially because it's, like, that's still taking a giant risk. Because, like, again, they don't know if this is going... Like, yeah, they have, like, the test audience showing that, you know, kids are really responding to it. But, like, they still don't really know if it's going to work. Yeah. Um. Uh, but, you know, it's it kind of reminds me of, like, back in the day when George Lucas was um with Star Wars. And, like... You know, he got to keep the toy rights to Star Wars because they weren't certain that they weren't really going to make any money off of it. So, like, they just decided to give him the merchandising rights and that would be the thing that he owned. Uh, well, turns out it was a massive hit and he made a lot of his money off of merchandise for the end until the end of time. Um, merchandising,
0: merchandising.
1: Yes. So, it turns out it's a massive hit. Uh, the toy sales go absolutely insane. And so, everybody gets a sweet piece of that merch money. So, success. Now, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. So, again, thank you, Margaret Lutch. Yeah. So,
0: that's kind of like, okay. So, the big thing is like, okay, one, we're not talking about Shooky Levy because Shooky Levy's just kind of there. And also, he kind of sucks.
1: Yeah. But I think also talking about Margaret in this case is that it is, it's so often with these larger properties, there's often a woman working behind the scenes that does that do, typically does not get a lot of the credit to the success of the thing yeah. like i already mentioned george lucas with star wars but i don't think that first movie would have been as big of a success if his wife his first wife wasn't editing the film yeah yeah
0: it, it, it's like it kind of always happens like that and it, just to find out that this this one like this executive who was a woman and everything really was the one who took a chance on power rangers And basically said, no, I I really want to do this and broker deals and did very well. You know, it's like, wow, she actually more or less helped. She more powered Power Rangers into being, you know, it was it was kind of Chaim Saban's crazy fucking idea. But it was Margaret Letch's like whole connections and bringing it to be and belief in the project that gave us Power Rangers.
1: Yeah. And she even put her own career on the line for Power Rangers. Yeah, and like this was a massive gamble, and it paid off. Obviously, like you know, nearly thirty years later, here we are talking about it.
0: Yeah, I know, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we're here talking about it. So, kind of, what are the motifs to really talk about in terms of like the first Saban era? Uh,
0: I think you you nailed it on the head when we were discussing this episode because it's mm-hmm. very hard to like do the compare and contrast. Right until we watch the other arrows, but you really nailed it on the head. I feel like when we discussed it, of it, it just feels like it's a carryover from the '80s for like the first chunk of it, mm-hmm. of where like it's a cheaply, thin, veiled toy commercial being made. Right, and it makes sense because time Saban in television and everything, he kind of in America got started out on filmation. Right. So, you know, he obviously took some of Filmation's business practices Mm -hmm. and probably went, like, stuff like He Man, which, by God, talk about a weird fucking experience that is He Man.
1: Yeah, I I tried to watch a few episodes for that a couple of uh, several years ago now for another podcast I used to be on, and, uh, (laughs) oh, it's something. (laughs) It's something. Uh, so yeah, it's just kind of like, and not just how business
0: was back then. There's a lot of things like if, unless it was animated, from my like what I remember as a kid, it was still like you're trying to sell a toy. Yeah. And just watching, particularly through Turbo, it really felt like a toy commercial that they just kind of slap a plot on.
1: Yeah, and it was so weird in the toys that made us when they were talking about the Turbo toys not selling well, and they were just like they tried to pass it off as. Oh well, you know it was cars, and cars don't sell that well because, like, if the kids wanted to transform cars, they would just buy Transformers toys. And I'm like, uh, maybe it was actually because Turbo sucks.
0: Yeah, like, it's like Turbo also tanked in the ratings. Like it, 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 like that. That's like a thing too. It's like Turbo tanked in the ratings. Like it, it almost canceled the show. Yeah. Until like the very end, because TJ's abs saved the day.
1: Yes, (laughs) we are here still because of TJ's abs.
0: Thank you, thank you, just, just blessing. Thank you, fair hands by TJ's abs. Yeah, thank you, Selwyn Ward,
1: first black leader of the Power Rangers. We,
0: we are, we owe everything to
1: Sterling Ward and his abs. Yes, but at some point, like you do, actually get people who seem interested in writing like plot and story. On Power um, Rangers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that really kind of starts with Tycor getting more at the reins of actually running this, the show. You know, it was mostly executive pierced by Saban and his business partner, Shuki Levy. Uh, and it really wasn't, I think, until much later that Tycor kind of actually got to- the Jonathan Tycor got to the reins of it and actually was able, like, like- I- trying to remember if he was in Space or Last Galaxy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that kind of started it, but he definitely started to actually feel like, I want to bring something a little bit more over than this toy commercial. Along with, I think, like, things are shifting. And the- the thing we also definitely want to mention, like, what was brought over, uh, before he started being executive producer and showrunner, Chip Lynn, he was head writer, Chip Lynn, and uh, writer, Ju- Jude Lynn, and, uh, Yeah, you could just tell he just sprinkled uh, family issues, particularly daddy issues, wherever he went. So it's kind of like the start of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I would have to say, I didn't put this in our notes, but I've mentioned it before, is that I kind of think around the time that you had Johnson uh, Tycor uh, as well, um, is probably when you start getting more mainstream television shows, start actually dealing more with like women characters, so I'm not going to say Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a direct influence, but I feel like, especially when you get later into the 90s and early 2000s, you start feeling the Buffy ripples start to hit Power Rangers.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, Tyker was uh the was starting to become more of a producer, mm-hmm. like, more in the limelight of that with In Space. Right. Because he, he was always kind of a production person. Mm -hmm. Like an executive producer, but he really, I think he really took the reins within space. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't always agree with how he wants to run a show. Right. But, you know, he kind of, you know, like you said, like the Buffy ripple effect, all this other stuff. Like, he started to kind of mold the show into being more than just toy commercial. Right. And yeah, the Buffy effect is so weird to really think about. Because, yeah, Joss Whedon sucks. Mm Mm-hmm. We're just gonna put out there... We regret being weirdo or whatever,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: yeah, it's just like Buffy's a because f- like Buffy, I think was coming out like a little after before Power Rangers, but like once it, was, it became yeah, it, it was uh, once became a phenomenon though.
1: Yeah, it was like, that, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer started on the WB network in nineteen ninety seven. Okay, um, so it was, it was def- earlier
0: than that. So I'm no, weird. I
1: mean the first, so the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie came out in ninety two. But okay. the TV series didn't start until 97. So we are deep... Well, So at that point, we are probably around Turbo in space-time. Okay. Um, I, I always forget the timeline with Power Rangers, because...
0: About then, yeah. 97 is when Turbo came out. Maybe.
1: Yeah, so... And I would say probably around um a little... Starting a little bit in space, but, like, around Lost Galaxy, you start seeing more the women characters as characters and not necessarily like the the awkward pastiche that they were in kind of the early savannah girl! girl girl
0: girl characters yeah um uh, and there's nothing you know like i said it's like there's nothing wrong with these like characters to start with because there's kernel of good ideas normally with those characters in the past but mm-hmm. yeah you didn't you, you actually saw like gr- like them developing more than just girly-girl tomboy or girl or whatever. They actually, like, had more to them. And then eventually we get Jen Scott's.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel... Yeah, that's kind of, again, that late 90s, early 2000s ripple effect coming out from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was always kind of misunderstood, and I think that came a lot from what the kind of weird bullshit Wheaton would bring onto these projects. But I feel like that is... I think that was kind of a cause and effect, a little bit, with trying to actually develop more character behind some of these characters.
0: Yeah, and then we have evolved past Whedon.
1: Yes, we need we we as a society have no longer need for Joss Whedon.
0: We we do not need Joss Whedon. Um, and then kind of when Power Rangers really started to solidify as kind of the big foundation of how seasons go and everything, really was Lightspeed Rescue, I feel. Because yeah. that kind of gives you, you have the first episode or two being the introduction of everybody, uh, then you have, like, some mini-character arcs and stuff like that to kind of establish some characters, mm-hmm. you know, your introduction of the threat, the sixth Ranger does come in, then, you know, you have kind of the second half arc, and then, you know, finally, wake lead up to the big finale. Right. And, uh, Lightspeed Rescue was also the time we actually see more sen- uh, Sentai adaptation and just adapting Sentai episodes. Okay. Because beforehand, like, I've noticed, like, because I've watched a bit of Ginga Man and all that, that, you know, like, you would watch Less Galaxy and be like, oh, that's an episode from, like, the Sentai or something. Right. Whereas, like, light- Lightspeed Rescue minus the whole, like, fan... Well, we still have a bit of, like, the family dynamic thing going on, minus the whole the entire ranger team is made up of a family of people who became public servants, and the dad is, like, kind of an asshole scientist, but he's trying to stop the world from ending due to, you know, the planets aligning and demons coming out. hmm So it's, like, it kind of feels like it was adapted from Go! Go! 5, and then you have time uh force which has a lot of elements and adaptation from time ranger and 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 then you have wild force which uh does feel like its own adaptation of gal ranger so you're starting to see that more and more Mm -hmm.
2: as
1: opposed to we just
0: took the sentai episode and put it in there we don't care how it looks lost galaxy
1: yeah uh, yeah and i feel like you like I feel like at some point there is a little less of the awkward, like, wedging in of, like, well, we just need to cast somebody who looks like the, or we need to just do something that's similar to the so we can use the Sentai footage and not really explain it.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: I I feel like you get less of the contrived plots of, oh, I used to raise, like, um service, like, police dogs in Australia, so that way they could explain why there was a German Shepherd in the Sentai footage. I feel like you get a little less of that as like, the series progresses.
0: Or that, really, that one girl from the first season of Power Rangers with that really bad fucking wig.
1: Yeah, because yeah, Because yeah. they had
0: to explain why, like, later on there was this girl with the same haircut.
1: Yeah, or the or just the random Asian baby that they were, like, babysitting. Because they need to explain why the baby carriage was in the Sentai footage.
0: This is so, so much weird shit. Oh my god. And then even then, like, shit just happened, like, the entire- Like, that episode with, uh, Kai and Lost Galaxy, where all of a sudden he's just- He's Goki? Yeah! It was just like, wow, he's his Sentai counterpart all of a sudden. He's just a lot taller and buffer and dressed up like some mythic person.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't stop entirely, but it feels like they just stop relying on that less as time goes on. Yeah, or the biggest example, Vibra. Oh. Oh, God. But the I think the last,
0: like, main big example of that, I feel, was um, they wanted to cast someone very similar to uh, how Time Fire. Mm-hmm. my name's... Bla- N- Naito, I think his name was? Yeah. Uh, they wanted to, like someone that's similar to the character look, so they casted Dan Southworth to Mm -hmm. be Eric, so they could basically not film the scenes of him getting the Quantum Ranger powers. Okay. (laughs) So all of a sudden, it's like, huh, that is a much small, much smaller, less
1: buff dude. I mean, never discount Heim Saban's willingness to uh, not spend money. Yes. (laughs) 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 Um,
0: He is an 80s children's television person, and it shows.
1: Yes. It's like, (laughs) He, he will get this learned- made as cheaply as possible. He definitely learned from Filmation. <laughs> if he could rotoscope <laughs> their walking <laughs> over and over again, he surely would.
0: Yes. He learned great lessons from Filmation. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing the ranking of our seasons. And we're it's 1 through 10 since it's been like an entire decade. And we're starting with our favorite season, and we're going down, and we're actually chopping each Mighty Morphin season up, so it's one, two, and three, because uh, we we felt like that felt better instead of just judging Mighty Morphin as a whole.
1: Yeah, plus that's how we did it when we recorded those episodes anyway, so just makes the most sense.
0: Uh, and also, we don't always agree on these on these, so uh, get ready for that.
1: Yeah, uh, but the first
0: one we do agree. This is our number one pick for the Saban era is Time Force.
1: Yes, so Time Force, as I mentioned in our episode, I believe it hits that perfect balance. Uh, it's the apex for Power Rangers of balancing that Monster of the Week um, vibes along with the ongoing story. And shows that you can create an interesting story, even if it does involve heterosexuality.
0: Yeah, we were like, wow, because Power Rangers has this long history of being very sess yeah, I'm not gonna lie. And even mm-hmm. like the shippers we found are kind of very like, I'm not gonna name names for that one person re- replying to Gail Simone, talking about Trini, and saying there was a love triangle with Jason, Kimberly, and Tommy. I'm like, what did you watch?
1: Yeah, that uh, that did not happen at all.
0: That, that did not happen. That was very weird. And th- there's kind of this long history of just like people kind of taking the most kernel of like involved like talking or something and making it into a ship so it's just kind of like eh, whatever but jen and Wes are just that well written and it's power rangers
1: yeah i'm like how did you make me care about not just a heterosexual couple on power rangers but a canon heterosexual couple like i was emotionally devastated at the end of like time force when jen had to leave
0: yeah it's like it is the most devastating like one of the more devastating blows you see in Power Rangers is just Jen saying I love you to Wes, and Wes saying I love you too, and them, them hugging because you can't kiss on Power Rangers anymore. Nope. No, nope. So they don't even get, like, the kiss. And you're just like, uh uh-huh, no. And, like, even to they say you'll go to panels and stuff, and, uh, Jason and Aaron are just, like, the things we would tell our characters is, like, Aaron's like, I- just stay with him.
1: Just fucking stay with him! Yes! Yes! Though, if she had stayed with him, we wouldn't have gotten Sins to the future, so... Yeah, yeah,
0: that's very true. So, yeah, it's just, like, you know, and it's funny, because it's like, they also have, you know, the accidental subtext that is Eric and Wes. yeah. I say it's accidental substance. I don't think the actor's meant to play it that way. It's just the chemistry between Dan and and Jason. Yeah. That just make it a little bit like, oh man, this is definitely, this is definitely
1: two ex-boyfriends from high school. Yeah. It didn't end well. (laughs) Nope, 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 nope. I would say the only real downside that we could agree on with kind of our... I mean, it's still Power Rangers, it's not gonna be the best written thing in the world. But the one main downside that we had with Time Force was the fact that it doesn't really have a good cast balance. When I
0: proposed this, I kinda of went and cried cast balance to kinda of get the audience up to speed. It's basically like it feels like everyone got a fair share on the show. And Power Rangers mm. is just it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, and I understand it, but it's just like But with Power like this season, like you had like Wes, Jen where the main characters and then Eric came in and became like more of a substantial character, and then it was Katie, Tripp, and Lucas just fell by the wayside. Yeah, there was this, there was a lot of interesting things, particularly about Katie and Trip, but it just never evolves in anything.
1: Right? Yeah, like because it's like you get the kind of the basic ideas of who Trip and Katie are, and uh, and a decent amount with Lucas, but they don't really have much else beyond those kind of, like, central episodes. Uh, Lucas especially, just, he does not evolve as a character whatsoever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's a womanizer, race car driver, in the beginning and end. He's basically the song, I'm in love with my car by Roger Taylor, if that was a character.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: so I guess moving on, um is our second big favorite was, oddly enough, Wild Force.
1: Yeah, so uh, for Wild Force, I think the cast, and we both agreed on this, the cast balances better out than Time Force, even though the characters aren't as well fleshed out.
0: Yeah, it's, even though Cole's like the centerpiece kind of to the story, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like Cole's completely destroying the story by being the main character, like Andros and in space. Right, Uh, but also, like, not is developed, but so is everyone else. Everyone else is not very developed at all, either.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it all balances out in the wash.
0: Which, the big balance with that actually happens to be it's, like, it's got a good, it's this great ongoing story and mythology. It is very rich.
1: Yeah, I would say out of everything in Power Rangers, I would say this is probably the most developed in terms of uh, the universe's mythology. Yeah. Um. I mean, you get hints of it, you know, throughout the series, like with Zordon, and um, you know, especially within space as well. Um, but I don't think they ever really took the chance to really kind of explore like a deeper mythology within Power Rangers, really, until this season.
0: Yeah, and we're looking at like the where the Animarian begins is uh now i have a correct like view of it on like the last episode we did with wild wow, force mhm i learned math no i didn't <laughs> but i no. learned where uh where we were looking at about 3000 years ago at that time we were probably looking at like proto civilization right so here's proto civilization power rangers and kind of this weird utopia taking place back then right And, all you know, and the the story of the fall of it and how it went to the sky and what is Princess Shayla and Animus. It's like all these really neat, deep mythological cuts to Power Rangers. And uh, that's kind of what I think makes it like, despite that the characters are just kind of there. I think that's what makes it is just like how rich of a tapestry that this this mythology has uh and was presented in in wild force and you really only scratched the surface with that you only saw like you know the end of that story right and but it's like there's the whole thing of like you know the beginning of that story what was the animarium like back then or you know bits and pieces of what was it like for jindrax and toxica to roam the earth for millennia, like they watched the the growth of civilization when you really think about it. Yeah. So, you know, there's all sorts of these neat little little hooks uh that really bring us in. Um which which is why uh we, we're like, Boom, you have something here. I'm not pitching to you, if anybody from Boom is listening, I'm not pitching to you. I'm saying steal my idea of looking into Wild Force.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have an idea, but I'm, I'm keeping that close to the chest.
0: <laughs> Keep it close to the chest. I'm just more like, here's my idea. Check out Wild Force. But uh, the biggest thing, the biggest drawback, I think, for us really was the tonal shifts.
1: Yeah, Um. I mean, it's, as we said with the great ongoing story, there's a good villain to hero balance with the story movement. But it also really leads to these insane tonal shifts where you'll have a really silly plot that feels like a cutie honey episode with like the mannequins and the brides and, and one case. And then, like, one or two episodes later, you'll have Cole finding out that his parents are dead. Yeah, and like, it's
0: like super fucking sad.
1: Yeah, and it's just like, Jesus. It's yeah, like, just, like just <laughs> such mood whiplash in this season. Yeah, it's like, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing. Like, I love having like a good balance of comedy and drama in series um but like i don't know if they would always get that balance right in wild force <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it'd just be like hey happy go lucky ness and then all of a sudden what i think what really drew was like the beginning of end of power rangers where they're like really celebrating that they you know defeated the orgs and stuff and they also had some feel-good art with jindrax and toxica Mm-hmm. And then, all of a sudden, existential dread that they sort of get over, and then all of a sudden Animus is dead, and you're like, "What the fuck?"
1: and it's like, "Oh, things have gotten real, yeah, and it's like, I was not expecting this series to kill god
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's like the biggest thing. it's like it's like God's dead, yeah, Master org
1: killed God,, <clears throat> yep, Jesus fucking Christ." <laughs> I guess kinda of moving on to our next one, which is another one that we agree on for our number three is Lightspeed Rescue. Uh, uh this is the start of
0: truly when Power Rangers gets good. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, the seasons before it were Power Rangers was getting better. Right. This is like Power Rangers is a solid entity at this point of actually having a plot, characters, and everything. It feel it felt way more than a toy commercial. Despite the fact how many gadgets and zords are in Lost Galaxy.
1: Yeah. And weirdly enough, they said in the, the toys that made us that the toys for, um, uh, for Lightspeed Rescue didn't sell that well because they were trains. And I'm just like, it which they try to make it sound like, oh, well, because the toys didn't sell well, this series was bad. And it's like, no, Lightspeed Rescue is good. Like, That's it nice. is a, Yeah. <laughs> I think
0: one of the things that I think of when people compare, like, the toy sales to the actual series, I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, a series can be very, very good, and the toy sales can be very, very bad. Yeah. Like, the, the biggest toy sale since Mighty Morphin, and still is to this day, I believe, is Wild Force. Right.
1: And Wild so- Force is a good season, but, you know, they still have all these other ones in between that, like, you know, their toy sales vary wildly, and the quality can, you know, vary wildly as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: as for the characters, we love our dumb ba- babies and Dana, because she isn't a dumb baby. She she was the one with brain cells in the group.
1: Yeah. Everybody else had one brain cell shared between them, but Dana had like a whole set of brain cells.
0: Yeah, so she, she was the competent one.
1: Yeah, and I will say probably out of you know, this era of Power Rangers we're looking at, I would say that Lightspeed Rescue probably has some of the best action in the series.
0: Oh, yeah. It's just, hands down, just, like, it's just, like, so good to watch, you know? Yeah. Especially, like, when uh, they would do some more more stuff than just karate. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would do some kind of, like, blaster kata, like, gun kata stuff. Uh, Uh There's this part where, like, Carter just goes and runs over a monster. Yeah. Like, they they do a little bit more than just the karate, and they they are more dynamic, I think, in their their use of other things, as well as, like, camera angles and action shots. Yeah. Um, Where the story kind of doesn't hold up well for us was uh, the story isn't that strong, Uh, plus the Titanium Ranger stuff just kind of was like, Here's Ryan Mitchell. Here's this interesting plot thread, and because we don't want to film stuff with the Titanium Ranger and deal with that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, let's just have him go off in the desert every now and then.
1: Yeah, because it's like as soon su- like because I get why they couldn't include the Titanium Ranger that much is because he was an American creation, and they didn't really have a whole lot of pre-filmed footage to really put him in there. Um. But it kind of ends up, they didn't really come up with anything interesting for him to do. And so they he just fucks off for a while. And it's like, okay, but you could have had him, like, maybe still be on the station. And maybe struggling with his ranger powers. Not, I'm gonna go wander the desert and maybe pop up for an episode and then pop up again at the finale.
0: Yeah, pretty much. It was kind of like, okay.
1: Cool. This is, uh, this is a lot of wasted potential and time.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um Um, the other
0: one was it's like something that we found out and it's always something I felt with the series is the villains felt way more like interesting and had more growth and weirdness than the like actual main team.
1: Yeah, like we 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 talked about it in our episode about how it just felt like it was the soap opera with the you know, with the demons and all of their things and all their drama. And then occasionally, we would just pop back in with the Rangers and them doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, so, it's not, not necessarily, necessarily a bad thing. Just, you know, was, the balance was not there as it could have been. Yeah. So,
0: uh, next is number four, which we do split on our number mm-hmm. fourth pick. Mine was in space. And to go over kind of why I liked it and why I chose it for four. Number mm-hmm. one, I originally hated the shit out of the season. Mm-hmm. and it was because like just shit was going on in my life and I finally sat down to watch it and this is kind of a negative towards it it has a, it has a lot of filler I wasn't that in Andros either so I just like this is an overblown season like guys what are you talking about this is the best of the Saban years
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: and re-going back and visiting it it actually made me realize like, no, this is actually a very solidly made season. The beginning's rough and everything, but it was the beginning of it trying to be good. yeah, the big thing kind kind of brings it down was more or less like the entire thing was revolved around Andros, and Andros is he's interesting. I ship him with therapy, mm-hmm. but you know it just kind of it feels like where Cole's the great example of a red ranger being the like a main character and almost a centerpiece of the series Andros is like the worst one of the worst examples of it because it just like it sucked everything else out of the characters it just revolved around him completely yeah and if you don't like Andros, you're not gonna like in space and the other is definitely the weird turbo beginning of the season because they were like still kind of had that leftover turbo residue and that like episode with the crossover team with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the next mutation and all that and a bunch of filler it was just kind of weird but it was a much tighter story and I kind of liked it a bit more uh and ranked it a bit higher than what Ashley has as her fourth because you know we're not the same person so I'm gonna let Ashley take it away from here
1: yeah so my number four pick is Lost Galaxy. Now, I recognize that In Space is the better season, but I personally enjoyed the sheer insanity of Lost Galaxy a little bit more. Uh, as I said when we talked about our episode, it did definitely feel all over the place when it tried to adapt Gingaman, but it was never boring in its attempts. I would also say that it has a better cast balance than In Space, uh, whereas, you know, as Jules said with In Space, Andros kind of overtook the plot, And I feel like you have Leo as a sort of main character, but it did feel a little bit more like an ensemble. Excuse me. Um, And I also think the ongoing story is also a little more interesting. But the fact that it's also all over the place is to its detriment sometimes. Um, I think, you know, it doesn't happen as much as it does in Wild Force, but you sometimes do get these really insane tonal shifts that you're just like it kind of takes you out of the story just a little bit um and also just my main beef with lost galaxy is i still believe to this day six months after watching it that corone should have gotten the battleizer not leo that,
0: that is still the dumbest thing like re- like watching that with you and like well, wow, typical cis man just taking the credit of a woman
1: yeah like corone is the one who puts in all of the emotional labor in the episode And Leo still gets the battleizer in the end. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, oddly enough,
0: uh, Lost Galaxy is my number five pick. uh, And what you thought was great, like, what you liked about it, I thought was a little too much. Uh, Mm -hmm. I need a little bit of focus, and that's just personally my opinion, because or else I'm just going to get confused and be like, what? But the thing is, I've watched this season about four times, uh, just because of how bonkers it is. I do like it. It's just like, it's... When it comes to, like, actually kind of, like, looking at it critically, I think In Space was just a little bit, like, more tighter.
1: Yeah. And so In Space is my number five pick. And as I said, In Space is the more consistent season story-wise, but I feel like it really takes forever to get going. And also, it's it's got a little bit of that Twilight Syndrome, uh, where... Everybody else in the cast is way more interesting than Andros. But Andros still gets line lion's share of the story. Yeah, and it's my like... My
0: sister's dead.
1: Yeah, my sister's dead. Or, uh, oh, my sister's evil. And I don't know, if she, like, I don't know if I can save her. Shut the fuck up, Highlights! is <laughs> way more interesting than you! Yes, um... But you know again i think it's like once it did get going it was very interesting um and even sometimes i would get pulled into andros's story sometimes um yeah but to this day i i say this like i watched it years ago what it, it does feel like i watched it years ago at this point god um i still can't believe they managed to make me like alpha six and that is
0: that is kind of the weirdest thing about that series
1: yeah and i think it's just shows how much better writing and a better voice actor can truly improve a performance
0: because we were like fuck alpha six and in that episode we're like coron goes on the spaceship or rather astronomer uh-huh. goes on the spaceship and she disguises herself as ashley and alpha six gives gives her like this precious moments gift or whatever and mm-hmm. she just shoots it in the trash and we're like, no, Ooh! Alpha 6, we got that for you.
1: Yeah, if that had happened in Turbo, just be like, ha.
0: Yeah, if it happened in Turbo, would be like, ha, <laughs> yeah, like, ha, ha, ha. But in, in, in Space, we were, like, horrified. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Andrus would be more interesting to visit with probably a tighter writer that can make you, like, be way more into somebody dealing with trauma than just kind of what Andrus has
1: yeah and like yeah because especially it's like and if i wish i wish it was balanced out a little bit better in terms of the cast
0: yeah um like you said it's like everyone's a way more interesting character than andros
1: yeah and tj was still the true leader of the team because andros needed to be sad all the time
0: yeah andros was like i'm a sad loader so tj's like okay um let's do some training
1: yeah um kind of moving on to our number six this is we converge back at this point uh, with our number six pick of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Season 2. Uh,
0: this is the first time we actually felt like this wasn't a slog. And actually, I just remember, like, when we went through, like, it and everything, Ashley was like, wow, well, I'm pleasantly surprised I like this. Is this Stockholm Syndrome?
1: Yeah, because we... It took us a really long time to get through Season 1 of Mighty Morphin, but we got through Season 2 in about three days.
0: Yeah, we just... Marath... And keep in mind that season two is one of the like long seasons, so we marathoned fifty two episodes in about three days,
1: yeah, because it was it was that enjoyable, it felt tighter, it was um, yeah, I think they just had a better idea of what they wanted to do with it at that point. Um, and, like, stakes felt higher, and while it was episodic, there was that cohesion. Like, they had a better idea, so they kind of executed it. And it's surprising what you can do, um, when you actually want to do something.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bulk and Skull also became better characters that season.
1: Yeah, I think that was a huge surprise to me, and I love that they kept that going until Bulk and Skull left the series. Um, Uh, yeah,
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's like, like, graduating them from bullies to uh like we're gonna find out who the power rangers are and including an episode where they do in fact find out who the power rangers are but then it's because their memories are erased and they see him the powered and they basically go through the plan they overheard billy saying they were doing before he lost his memories and basically losing their memories of knowing what the power who the power rangers were because they knew it was the right thing to do
1: yeah like season one, Bulk and Skull would have never have done that,
0: no, and, or or
1: taken care of a baby. Yeah, like I feel like it's nice to see them decide that. Okay, let's make these comic relief characters actually be characters and not just these two D pastiches that are there to be obnoxious. Yeah. Um. Oh, um, go on. No, no, you you can say it. This this is one of your favorite Rangers.
0: Uh, We love Adam so much. Yeah. I'm actually, I pre-ordered the Adam figure. So I was like, you could have an Adam figure as a treat for your birthday.
1: Yeah. In your defense, Hasbro's getting better with the head casts that aren't uh Jason David Frank. Yeah. Um. Now, it is still MMPR, Uh. so it does still feel a little flat. And so watching the Peace Conference episodes as we like to notate them as, it is... Very awkward at best, and sometimes racist at worst.
0: Yeah, that was something we didn't cover with the first time we did the recording of the episode was whoever dubbed Trini uh, when they had to do that made the most racist Asian accent.
1: Yeah, it was awful. Um, awful.
0: And it's like, Tweet doesn't sound anything like that.
1: No. Um. So yeah, but I feel like out of the- like, and we both feel this way- out of the three seasons, it is the strongest out of the three seasons of Mighty Morphin.
0: Yeah. And I guess going into number seven, this is where we're having a divergence again, is uh, I picked Zeo, and uh, what I liked about Zeo is like the stakes felt were felt higher to season, and wow, the Zeo crystal wasn't a MacGuffin. Uh, I also kind of liked that it changed the power in suits and everything, it kind of upgraded everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely felt tighter than Mighty Morphin. Uh, there are times where they tried to adapt O Ranger, which was kinda neat, cause O Ranger is kinda weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, like, kinda nothing happened, and the ending is one of the worst endings I have ever seen in Power Rangers. It is basically Strong Bad saying, It's, it's over! over! That is, that is how it ends! It's, it's over! over! And yes, we have watched the Dino Charge ending. Dino Charge has an actual, like, climactic ending. It's stupid as fuck, and we'll get to that in two years. Whew It is stupid as fuck, but it is still a climactic ending. Whereas this one just was like, Machine Emperor's dead, cool, let's let's just look look at all the other rangers, cool, and uh Jason goes on a date with Emily, all well.
1: Yeah, I remember getting to the end, it was just like, that's it?
0: <laughs> that's it it was very weird and then i think jason uh not jason uh uh bulk and skull go to france i think it was <laughs> the only big cl- cliffhanger was bulk and skull go to france
1: and then they're literally back in the turbo movie
0: <laughs> yeah uh billy leaving still stings to me this is when i really started second guessing whether i wanted to continue watching this series and by turbo and everything i'm like no i'm not longer watching this series Um. Uh, the nostalgia for it, I think, makes this higher than your choice, because Zio brought me back into watching Power Rangers again more often, whereas I didn't tune in as much as MMPR Season 3, uh, and I think that was a mix of, like, Zio was on a more stable time, I think, with my affiliate station, mm-hmm. and also I just kind of fell out of watching for a little bit, mm-hmm. but however, Season 3, going into that, that is your choice.
1: Yes, um, so I feel like, uh, more happens in MMPR season three, and I'm counting Alien Rangers in this as well, uh, that tries to move the plot forward and tries to bring actual story to MMPR. Now, while Kimberly leaving was bittersweet, uh, getting to see an actual Ranger goodbye was actually extremely emotional. Well, as emotional as you can get with early Power Rangers. Also, the ending is probably one of the most dramatic endings in the first Saban era. That being said, it was another one of those seasons that felt all over the place tonally, which felt hard to follow sometimes. Um, And I think also sometimes they would have plot threads that were very interesting that they kind of just forgot. Like Cat, for instance. Like Cat has a really great introduction as a character, but then, you know, she kind of just ends up living in Tommy's shadow for the rest of the season and ongoing to Turbo.
0: Yeah, and that's, why it is eight for me um and it's it's a lot like last galaxy i think it's just a preference thing for me at this point uh Uh, it's like there was a lot to process for the season i'm not a big fan of it Mm -hmm. and like you pointed out it's like a lot of things were trying to be thread together through a mini arc but they couldn't quite do it yeah they tried and that's what was important and you're right like probably this and wild force are probably the most dramatic endings you have you you see in the first Saban era the first decade of Power Rangers
1: oh yeah like there's Uh, an actual cliffhanger with this
0: yeah and and that like was kind of the big draw in for me to rewatch it was towards the end of this season when they were doing like right after the metallic armor is kind of starting when I got back into it Mm
1: -hmm. and I got
0: really drawn into that last bit Mm mm-hmm and then, yeah, Justice for Cat. I and mean, she had a really great intro to the series. I mean, yeah, she was ha, ha a cat. Uh, and Uh But she was one of Rita's uh evil minions. We saw how kind of Rita, you know, took her and molded her and everything through flashbacks, which I thought was a very neat thing for Power Rangers to do. It wasn't like Green with Evil where they just, Here's Tommy! Now he kidnapped Tommy and brainwashed him. You actually... Through Cat trying to regain her humanity, see where Rita got her. Right. And it ended up being Cat ultimately breaking her own spell to save Kimberly. Uh, because she, she was like, she started to feel bad for all the shit she was putting Kimberly through to tire her out. Right. So that was great. And her getting, uh, the power coin and everything, it was all really good stuff, then the power transfer happened, and then all of a sudden, Tommy's shadow, she becomes Tommy's girlfriend, and then they pretty much end up together, as of Ninja Steel, and like, and Soul of the Dragon. But, I did read some of Soul of the Dragon, I actually, yeah, she's still kind of Tommy's wife, but they actually kind of try to flesh her out, and kind of bring back that character we first saw when we were introduced with her and I really fucking like that. I can't wait to cover those.
1: Yeah. Um, and I guess that brings me to my number eight pick, which is Zio. I will say that it's a more consistent season than MMPR season three, but it's still kind of boring and it even goes out on a whimper. Like the it's the it's over ending. Like we got to that last episode. I'm like, that's it. There's no yeah. dramatic climax. Like jason loses the gold ranger powers and it just ends yeah it, what's funny is like every time i watch
0: zeo i'm like i'm enjoying it oh wow that ending i forgot about that ending
1: yeah because it's like at least in other even after this series whenever they have like a ranger or ranger ally losing their powers it is a dramatic sacrifice like with the magna defender in lost galaxy Well, the second magnet offend well no both magnet offenders. (laughs) Um Even though the second one was just fucking funny. Yeah. (laughs) Um but too dramatic. Yeah, it was so dramatic. But like at least there was stakes there. And like they're trying to have an emotional moment with somebody losing their powers. But here it's just like, oh, he gives his powers back to Trey. Okay, it's over, bye. Uh, yeah, and then, I guess the Machine Empire looked cool, but had nothing to really do.
0: Yeah, they kind of, they had a very cool design with the Bar Empire coming into, uh, from O-Ranger, and mm. unlike the Bar Empire, though, they were kind of boring, and the thing that they had going for it was they acted rich.
1: Yeah, that was probably what made them most entertaining, is that they were just rich assholes you wanted to see get punched. Yeah. Um, the Gold Ranger arc was also a real letdown. Like, you could see how they were trying to build it up to be this really cool thing, and I can, you know, if I was a little kid watching it, I would be absolutely, like, addicted to this. And then it just sort of peters out. And I'm not ju- I'm not just crediting that to Austin St. John's real hor- horrendous acting.
0: I will say, as a kid, I was really highly interested because they had all these random threads going into it, and then all of a sudden it's this random guy you've never seen before. And I'm like, cool. I'm nine. This is, I'm a little bit smarter now.
1: Yeah. Cause, like, at least, like, with the White Ranger arc in season two, like, they were, at least it was very clear that it was gonna be somebody that we knew.
0: Yeah, and it it felt like that building up to it, uh, Mm. again, with, like, the advertisement and everything, and not only that, with the show, and, like, a lot of, a lot, I th- I just remember I was like, is it gonna be Tommy? I hope it's Tommy, and it was Tommy, and I freaked out. Yeah. You know, that was great. Like, you brought back Tommy, and then, you know, yeah, the Gold Ranger thing was just like, who's this motherfucker?
1: Yeah, and then they bring back Jason, and then it just seems like Jason doesn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> I will say though, the suits are really cool looking. Like, yeah, I would say probably out of that early Saban era, like once we like they are probably once we get out of the the Zou Ranger suits, like I think it is some of the the best looking designs that we have seen in that era, in this particular era of Power Rangers.
0: Yeah. Uh, Which brings us to, we're on our last two, kind of the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, and really scraping it. <laughs> we're really scraping it now. So uh my pick for number nine is actually Turbo. And uh the reason is, like, the character changed, helped a lot, and that made the second half okay-ish quality. Like, I can see why their ratings picked back up to at least get in space mm-hmm. with that. Uh, And the ending was way too good for this season.
1: I will agree to that, yeah.
0: (laughs) Like, that was, we were talking about, like, I think it's like the third high stakes, like, ending Mm -hmm. we have seen in Power Rangers. And it's just like, and it also ends in the cliffhanger. So it's just like, wow, that was really great. Why wasn't the rest of the season like this?
1: Yeah, it's like putting an Oscar quality ending to the biggest clown car circus you've ever been to. (laughs)
0: Yeah <laughs> Pretty much. Uh the only reason why I have it so high is really because of like characters like TJ and Diva Talks. And it actually does have a semblance of a plot, even though it's real bad. Mm-hmm. Uh Turbo really is that scene in The Simpsons where Bart Simpson throws away the cake at least you tried. Yeah. It really feels like you had a plot, you had all this stuff going on, and then you just <laughs> and honestly that's just how I feel about it and Ashley's pick for her penultimate worst season are uh, both the same quality and honestly they're both equal in quality I just think Turbo just has a little bit more edge I guess I don't know but that's just my opinion so here's Ashley's
1: so my second worst season is MMPR season 1 Uh, so it was pointless and meandering but we had Rita and Kimberly and Billy so at least that it had that going for it I will always be slightly annoyed by the fact, though, that this season started in the cult of Tommy. Like, I get so annoyed when people on the internet talk about how, like, when I, maybe it's because I didn't grow up watching Power Rangers, so, like, when people talk about, like, oh, yeah, and you see the Green Ranger coming, he's kicking everyone's butt, and it's just the coolest thing you've ever seen as a kid, and I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I don't get it. I honestly do not get it. He's I just say in- this. Yeah.
0: I Tommy like was so cool to me as a kid and then like you look at me now and I'm just like I'm a I'm just Tommy neutral to and Tommy depending on the writing.
1: Yeah, and it's just like okay, I mean I guess he's like if you're a kid in the nineties yeah, and watching this, yeah, he's kinda of the epitome of cool. Like he's like you know, he's the he's the cool, affable older brother with long hair and he does karate and like you know, and loves like his
0: girlfriend, he gives her gifts and stuff.
1: Yeah, and like you know, he gets his you know he goes when he get turns evil, he kicks everyone's ass. But you know, he gets he gets a redemption arc, and so like, I get it from that angle. But like everybody's like continues sucking Tommy's dick these days. I'm like, stop! There are more interesting characters like Eric, like Eric. Yeah, um. I, I am interested in getting into the comics, though, with uh, L- with Lord Draken. but I know that's going to be a different Tommy than the one that we see in MMPR Season 1, because it's better written. Um, I also
0: can't wait till we get to Dino Thunder Tommy. Uh, I hope I'm not a- hyping him too much, but I really do love what Dino Thunder does with Tommy.
1: Yeah, I I am looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, it kind of looping into that, like even at its worst moments, I can see why this was such a hit. I can see why like kids loved this and were begging their parents to buy them the toys of it. Um, but I don't want the rest of the franchise to be tied down by this. Like, I see this all the time of like and it just it's it's like watching like the people who've been watching wrestling since they were kids like they still they're still tied into this nostalgia and they think they talk about how nostalgia is good for the business and I'm like a little bit of nostalgia is fine but you know I don't want to be watching Sting nearly break his neck again every week on AEW and I don't want the Power Rangers to be MMPR forever yeah so that's just how I feel about that
0: yeah uh, and now we're actually at the bottom of the barrel for us and my number 10 pick, the worst season of the Saban era, really, for me, is MMPR season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think actually hit it the over the head, I kind of the nostalgia factor is one of the reasons, but I, I'm going to point out, I do have nostalgia for this show. I will re-watch episodes, actually, of this show, like, I will, like, I remember for a while, I put it on with friends, like, mm-hmm. we would just rewatch episodes and get drunk and paint nails and stuff. Uh-huh. You know, it it was good to just kind of have in the background and just so you can talk and, you know, enjoy something that you, you liked. However, watching it for the sake of reviewing and not for something, like, just stupid to have in the background made me realize how fucking atrocious this first season was. So bad. And not even my nostalgia... Or still liking the characters a lot could save it from, like, critically looking at it like that and just being like, wow, this is a whole lot of nothing. And I, I think I- I'm with you on, like, I really hate how everyone treats it as the big nostalgia.
1: hmm
0: And, it, you know, I get it. This is the big thing from the 90s, but it's like, we've moved on. We've moved on past this first season. Uh, if you, you know, are a nostalgia fan, I'm not going to judge you, but I will ask you if you want to continue with Power Rangers, what is kind of your thing? Cause I will recommend a season that you probably will like and like a bit better than Power Rangers in PR season one.
1: Yeah. Um, and I guess that brings me to my number 10 and I guess whoever's listening to this now can probably guess, but yeah, it's turbo. Um, I love Diva Talks and I love TJ. They are the most enjoyable parts of the season. You would have to pay me a lot of money to think about rewatching Turbo. Well, I would rewatch the vampire episode for free because it's fucking stupid and I love it. But that's it. Um though honestly, I would hate it less overall if the it was more like the second half of the season with the new rangers for the entire series. Um because yeah, that second half of the season is stupid. But it's not That's okay. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun kind of stupid. um But the first half is what really drags it down for me because you have like I just it's
0: you I, have I, like you have all the power shift. You have the movie that doesn't really explain all. Like Zio ends with it's over. Uh-huh. They don't have like an ending of power or anything. There's no power transfer. It's just Rocky breaks his back. Mm-hmm. Hey, you have cars now. And uh, also this, this annoying
1: child is here.
0: And then like after that movie, you basically had Sword on an Alpha rush off into the galaxy. And then you basically had to deal with everyone treating Justin as their kid. So it just made Justin come off bad. And then just kind of the weird trying to be adults while Power Rangers just didn't do well. And then finally the power shift happened and then it's like, Hey, wow, this is actually not that bad look at these new characters they actually treat justin like more of a kid brother or something Mm -hmm. than like a kid they have to watch out for so justin gets better because of that
1: right i think i think a lot of the problem with the first half of turbo is that it is hinging so much on justin's precociousness yeah because like you can tell that the other actors are kind of getting over it a little bit especially because the season's terribly written um, but so they hinge so much of this on like Justin's precociousness, and it's like, it's like watching all of the bad Anakin Skywalker scenes from Phantom Menace at once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, my god. Cause, like, yeah, it is just, they try to do so much with Justin's precociousness and like have him have like these dramatic moments about being sad about his dad, and it's just like, I can't, I don't want to watch this. This is terrible but like once you get to the second half of the season they balance it out a little bit better with the cast and it's like why couldn't have this just been the entire season it would have been it would not have been good but it would have been tolerable yeah um but yeah
0: because it just just was like because a lot of the like i know from what i remember from interviews and stuff that uh I, i believe like Uh, Nakia and Johnny wanted to stay Mm because, you know, it's a steady paycheck but JDF and Catherine Sutherland wanted to leave. Right. So you had that kind of going on and then they just decided to replace everybody and it's like, cool. you could have just replaced everyone at the beginning or done something new and said you had to continue the Zordon mythos, I guess.
1: Yeah, and so, but yeah, I will definitely agree that the ending is way too good for it. Like
0: Oh, it totally is.
1: Yeah, and sweet man though, Adam.
0: I, I really do think that Adam, if he is out there in in canon, uh, as proposed by some people, including Johnny Ambosh just being Batman, he is definitely driving around in that van. Yeah. With like a wizard painted on it or something.
1: <laughs> or just him punching Zordon in the face.
0: <laughs> um so that's kind of the completion of the ranking of our seasons. Uh, So we're just going to go into, like, characters and stuff like that. And we're starting with our our favorite character for the Saban era. I'm cheating. I'm going for my favorite character of all time. And that Mm -hmm. is Eric Myers. Ha! You thought it would be Billy. You're (laughs) wrong. I still love Billy a lot. He is my big nostalgia fave. But Eric just just kind of, he's, he's just by far like, in the show, just one of the most interesting characters. Mm -hmm. And it's because, like, he does break all of Zordon's kind of commandments of, like, don't let anyone know your secret identity, don't raise a bat, don't escalate a battle unless you're forced to, don't use your power for personal gain. He's like, fuck that! Not only am I getting this power for personal gain, everyone's gonna know I'm the Quantum Ranger! And, uh, I'm just gonna morph because I want to punch Wes in the face.
1: Yeah, which, yeah, <laughs> I I will say that definitely does make Eric probably one of the more interesting characters in Power Rangers.
0: Yeah, and not only that he does have, like, he isn't just asshole, he does have an arc to him mm-hmm. that by the end of the series he kind of gets over a lot of his gruff exterior, and by the time you see him in Time Force, he's still kind of a dick. But he's less so. He's mellowed out a lot, and by the time we see him in Sins of the Future* on that timeline, he's—I guess—living with Wes and making sure he's not a disaster.
1: Yeah, he's like—he's—he—he's he be, being an actual bro about um about Wes getting broken up with instead of just being like, "Well, sucks to be you."
0: Yeah, like, 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 see, like the beginning of the series, Eric would have been like, "Sucks to be you." What, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> yeah. And in the comic, he's just like, "Here, have some like." coffee or something do you need me to like make you dinner eggs or something yeah you you need to talk about it
1: yeah he's trying to be Uh, like an actual friend
0: yeah as opposed to gotta hate you yeah uh and i will fight the fandom on the uh, fandom on this i think he actually is the first anti-hero we do get in the series and it's not magna defender uh i won't really fight you on that but it's like magna defender was just kind of a jerk yeah who who had his issues and was also part ghost. Yeah. That's fucking weird. And then he he died and gave Mike his, and gave Mike life again. So I guess he's Jesus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Jesus passed on his, like his his life force to anybody else. Well, no, I think that's technically the definition of Christianity. Yeah. (laughs) you,
0: You basically, according to Catholic, uh, catholic shit catholic canon is you know you take communion you are eating
1: jesus's body and drinking his blood it's like yeah trans transubstantiation that's the word
0: (laughs) yeah so Uh cool um but yeah most of all is i love garbage bad boys i want to i can peg i think it's just the overall feeling of eric these days still is just like i just love him as a character love what he goes through And also he's a garbage bad boy I can peg.
1: Fair enough. So I couldn't decide who was my overall favorite character. So I have a tie. Uh, The first being Kimberly Hart from Mighty Morphin. And the second being Jen Scotts from Time Force. Um, It's, yeah, it was just hard to pick between the two of them. Because for Kimberly, despite my dislike of MMPR, I feel like Amy Jo Johnson... Well, her and David Yost, especially, were carrying the show on, on their back sometimes to try to make their characters more interesting, especially J- Amy Jo, because she was trying to do something with Kimberly besides, girl! I mean, she's shown to be empathetic and kind, but she doesn't take shit from anybody either. And this proved to be a great basis for other adaptations of her character. Like, I I don't think we would have gotten somebody as interesting as the Ranger Slayer if amy joe johnson hadn't brought such a no pun intended heart to kimberly i, um, I also
0: am reminded of one of my favorite kimberly bits uh-huh. where she she tricks the evil billy
1: yes oh god it is so good
0: he's like what disc?
1: <laughs> it's like this
0: um, This. Disc? it's like yeah that disc. what does aha uh-huh, you're the evil one <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's just like I love Kimberly. She's so great, and she's I the only reason I would want to rewatch anything from MMPR. Uh, and As for Jen, I feel like she is kind of a natural evolution of what they tried to do with Kimberly, plus that influences of the ripple effect of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like she has this, such this deep well to pull from, like because you know she is somebody who is tied to duty very much. Because, like, even when they get to the past, she's still very much like, you know, we have work we need to do. We need to, you know, we need to protect, like, the city from the mutants. We need to get back home. Like, she's still very much ingrained to be a leader. She's trying to balance the team at a time she doesn't know, along with falling in love after she's lost her fiancé. And the complicated feelings that come when she finds out that her fiancé was alive and is kind of a dick. (laughs) Um, Fuck Alex dump him dump him dump him and like Erin cahill it's so weird to think that this is one of her first television acting roles because she knocks it out of the park and i just could not help but love jen like i feel like if between the writing and the acting if it was any of those were any different jen would have come off as a total cyclops and when i say cyclops i mean not as the monster i mean cyclops the mutant from x-men Mm -hmm. Because some people, when they write, like, when they write Cyclops, they kind of write him to be kind of a a, a no-fun, fuddy-duddy who's, like, very by the book, very by the rules, when it's just like, no, Scott Summers is just, he wants, he knows that he has to be the adult at all times. And that's kind of Jen, and I feel like they, you know, if anything was different with the performance or the writing like, it could have easily just gone to her just being, like, the stern, like, mother type who doesn't want anybody to have any fun, um, but, like, you know, she has moments where it's, like, you see her vulnerabilities, you see, like, the things that make her happy, like, the whole, like, um, uh, Frankie Chan, that's it. Yeah. Like, I love that episode, because it's so dumb, and it's just so funny to see Jen, who's, like, super serious, super adult at most times, and she's just, like, turns into a total fangirl. Yeah. I I just I just I could not help but love Jen like when she was introduced. I will say though, close third is gonna be Taylor.
0: I don't blame you for any of those. <laughs> Cause it's just like rewatching just got me really to appreciate Kimberly, I think a little bit more than I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was just weird misogyny of dealing with like not really nice and you know, I was a non-binary trans kid Uh huh. Uh, just
1: being like i don't want to be a girl Um, and and it's like you just don't you don't want to be the pink ranger because like you know people will just make you the pink ranger because pink and you're the girl quote quote
0: yeah (laughs) um and then like jen just always been one of my favorite characters just like you said just because of like all that she she is she's a very time forces has some very like fleshed out characters right like, it's just amazing. Just the deep well of these characters. And then Taylor just rolls. Yeah,
1: Taylor just fucking rocks. And she is definitely like there's so much from Wild Force you could do with. Like, I'm just gonna repeat that again. Um and I guess kinda <laughs> move on to our least favorite character, because we both came to an agreement on this. It's Rocky. Rocky. It's
0: Rocky. I don't think you should be surprised by this, but it is Rocky. So I want to say this funny tidbit is I used to have a crush on Rocky growing up because he's kind of cute, you know, and kind of fun loving, I guess. And uh, that was my first trash crush, I guess, and not Chris Jericho.
1: Are you just saying that because you don't want to admit that Chris Jericho was your first trash crush?
0: No, it is really because like, I look at just looking at how Rocky was. When we review, like when we look at him, like now I'm like, wow, no, Rocky was trash. Yeah, like, like the first, like MMPR season one and two, that one and two, two and three, he was just there. Like it was obvious that they just used him to fill in a spot for Jason, mm-hmm. and because the like power of the team leader went to Tommy. Yep, like nothing really came of him being anything. It was just like, excuse me, again. It was just like, you know, here's Adam. He's kind of the shy, quiet one. Maybe you know, maybe he needs some some uh, like some episodes dealing with self-esteem to bolster him. There's Aisha. She's um kind of a bit of a tomboy, but not really. Um she fits right in. She's bubbly. She's, you know, very driven, all these things. And then you had Rocky, who was just kind of like i'm rocky yeah i want to have fun and everyone kind of points out but he gets better in Zio, and i'm like does he does he really though <laughs> he gets a character but it's a womanizing jerk bag who like as soon as jason comes back he is fucking jealous of because yeah. jace like oh well jason was once upon a time the leader i'm like
1: you're not the leader Scott? either <laughs> you you
0: weren't either fuck like where did this jealousy come from like oh gee, everyone likes jason better and then like he would like, like all this plot lines tied to him trying to get with women and impressing them
1: yeah and he failed miserably most of the time
0: <laughs> yeah and then maybe he learned a lesson and then in the end it was just like no he's back to trying to get another girl yep like my favorite was really the one where he's doing the um computer like he was doing a computer assignment and mm-hmm. this one girl was like so driven to do the like, assignment and he was just more wanting to ask her out
1: right it was just oh it's so gross
0: it was so gr- like you could tell she was mildly annoyed like no we are here to do a program yep for class what the fuck
1: and then he like gets offended by when she turns him down it's like dude shut up leave her shut alone up.
0: Like this This is why why
1: a child replaced you yeah (laughs) how low can you get is that you get replaced by a literal child
0: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um i've heard like the the comic rocky tends to be a little better so uh but yeah show rocky eh, yeah he just kind of is either there or just awful yeah um Now let's go to something we don't typically talk about, but I feel like we should, is the suits. Yes. Uh, And we're going to start out with our favorite suits. And we both are kind of in agreement on these suits. It's just what edged them out personally for us. Yeah. Uh, Mine is Wild Force. Uh, You know, I can see that, like, I feel like the Time Force uniforms are better designed. And I will say that. Mm-hmm. But Wild Force definitely has that more nostalgia hit with like the helmets and some of how the uniform looks. Uh, it it just looks a little bit more dynamic, mm-hmm. and also I like the claws. So I kind of, I guess, I like go- that gaudy like sash that kind of goes on that uniform.
1: Yeah, which I think that's what like is kind of what kept me from making that my number one. Um, so my favorite is the Time Force suits, but I will concede that the helmets on the Wild Force outfits are way cooler. Um, cause I just, I, I just love how, like, dynamic they look, kind of in the way that the, the, the Zoo Ranger, um, MMPR helmets looked. Um, also their jack, their team jackets are sweet as hell. Um, yeah. but... For Time Force, the reason why it edged out for me is that I just love how clean and cool the outfits looked. Like, they definitely look futuristic, but also like that that perfect uniform that they do look like, you know, a team. Uh, a team from the future here to save the world. Um, they kind of, in a way, remind me of the Fuku from Sailor Moon, is that you do have a very uniform look where you can, you know, you can tell they're all part of the same team, but it still gives a uniqueness to each ranger. Like, I I, I think I just also just love the designs that each person got. Yeah. I think, I I just, I think that was just an interesting way to kind of make each look unique besides just what do the helmets look like or what color they are.
0: Yeah, because they actually did like different shapes. For each design um Mm -hmm. and everything it it was just like and that's something you don't notice at first because again you say it looks uniform but it's something you look later and like oh yeah the shapes are different Mm -hmm. on the on the uniform and that gives them the, the unique look yeah um and then uh i i guess our least favorite suit well, really, it really is our least favorite suit. I don't want to say I guess. It, it really is for both of us. It was the Lost Galaxy suits.
1: Oh, man. Okay. I will say in space is close for me, but the only reason that like I put in space towards the bottom is that I don't like the color blocks on. I don't their like suits. the color blocks either. It just, it pulls away from it. And if you take it, if you took that out, you would have had a much cleaner look. Um, but yeah, the Lost Galaxy suits. Oh my God. It's such a hot mess. Like, I don't understand that Charlie Brown zigzag that they all got going.
0: Yeah. How about were super fucking ugly on top of
1: that? Yeah. And it's just like, I feel like this, like, it's like, I don't understand. Cause I know Ginga Man was a sword and sorcery season. So I don't understand how this look is sword and sorcery and it doesn't look spacey either. It just sort of just, it's, it's there. It's like, there. I don't, I don't, I don't understand how this ties into anything.
0: Uh, well, one one I thought. Wait, when you mentioned the color block, I just thought of what people used to do back in Live Journal days. There was this like trend of doing the color blocks, okay, and the icons. Okay, uh, I remember doing those. It's like you had this like weird color block going on, and like I don't know Jack crying from Lost, and there the <laughs> color block. Okay, uh, uh, so there was that, but it's like I noticed for me, like a lot of the students I don't like have a lot of. Like the primary color isn't present, it's mostly like a secondary color, like and it's mostly white. Mm-hmm. And Lost Galaxy definitely has that, it's like, it's mostly white. And a, like it feels like the color isn't present in that Charlie Brown zigzag. It's just
1: ugly all around. Yeah, and I will say, unfortunately... Uh, a close second in terms of ugly uniform, well, more of a close third in terms of ugly uniforms is I do not like Lightspeed Rescue uniforms. I love the helmets. I cannot stand their uh, uniforms. Yeah, their uniforms are so fucking ugly. Yeah, oh, I was like, oh no, and I, that's like it takes like so much out of a season I otherwise really like. <laughs> Um, I guess kind of moving on from there, we kind of want to talk about our favorite mentors. Um, which is it's going to be kind of a similar situation is that we are in agreement of why we like that we both really like these two, but we kind of have different reasons about why they might edge out over the other. So I'll let Jules go first with their pick.
0: We have Bill, Bill,
1: Bill Mitchell, Bill
0: Mitchell. Um, I feel like he edges out Shayla, uh, for me, because Shayla's a close second, Mm -hmm. and it's because he's actually good at the mentor part, because Shayla's a good character, and she's interesting and interesting within the mythos. She's just not good at being a mentor. Right. Uh, Bill kind of balances letting the rangers learn things while not holding their hand, but sometimes he gets bad at that, like, not really critiquing Carter on why he failed that one thing. He just was like, oh, you failed and Carter only figured it out later. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have, like, actually critiqued him, and then you could have let Dana know about the, like, you were doing a bait-and-switch. Yeah. Instead of making her feel worthless and everything. Like, that that was just bad on your part. But that also just makes him, I think, human. Right. like, you're not always going to be a good mentor. But he was a solid mentor. Um, yeah, it, like, again, he sometimes kept things close to his chest, like, Really only him and Dana knew about Ryan?
1: Yeah, and, like, you could tell he was still processing a lot of guilt over Ryan, and I think that even plays to kind of how he acts at the end of the series when he's, like, feels like he's failed Lightspeed Rescue when they're getting attacked.
0: Yeah. And even if he didn't tell, like, because Dana was, like, she probably blanked out on the memory because she was, you know, a young kid when that happened. So he didn't even tell her, it's like, oh, yeah, demons took your brother.
1: Yeah, because she just- I think she just assumes Ryan's dead.
0: Yeah, she she just is like, Ryan's dead, dead, not nah, demons took your brother.
1: Yeah, what the so, fuck, Bill?
0: We also just enjoy saying Bill. Ever since we found out his first name was Bill. Yeah. Or rather, he goes by Bill, it's really William. We just were like, Bill. Bill. <laughs> so I wanted to do that one last time <laughs> in the podcast is just to have one last Bill. Bill.
1: All right. And then, so kind of coming to my favorite mentor, it's Shayla. <laughs> um, I will admit that Bill is more helpful and probably a little bit more of a human in terms of his, like, his own character arc. But I think Shayla is just a more, more of a character and a more interesting character. She's I was also
0: probably not human.
1: Yeah. She's probably not human or at least, like, not a human that we, un- we as humans would understand. Um, I was just, I was just deeply invested in this magical hippie lady and her own happiness. And also, I will say that she feels like one of the few mentors in the Saban era that I feel like is actively invested in the happiness of the rangers, and not just what they can do for her. Like, everyone knows my main beef with Zordon and his whole, like, oh, Kimberly, I never meant to deprive you of having a life. It's like, mm, but you did, though. Like, you're calling them at all times of the day and just being like, hey, we got a monster. I need you to stop whatever you're doing. And they're teenagers.
0: Yeah, so... And then we, we kind of find out, like, what, a, what at least in one canon, Zordon, she's teenagers because he thinks, like, oh, well, their friendship dynamic would work to, like better. And
1: it's like, no, they're still kids, you fucking moron. Yeah, so, like, I feel like I like Shayla because I feel like she is, like, she is invested in the Rangers. Like, she feels like... A friend to them, and not just like you know this this stodgy mentor figure that feels far off. I, th- um, I think her
0: and Bill, yeah, <laughs> kind of kind of check that off. Or Bill does have a little bit. Man, Captain Mitchell does have more of like the mentor in terms of being closed off. But you know he does like he'll jog with Carter and stuff like that. And whereas like Shayla, yeah, she's very invested in how the Rangers are happy. She asks how they are. Yeah, she'll you know, she'll you know, she'll kind of uh you know do things for them that are helpful and stuff like that. Even though she's you know not great on the advice or getting kidnapped.
1: Yeah, because Shayla can't leave the animarium, she will get kidnapped. Um, I will still say though her ending was still weird, and I'd love a comic about her. Honestly, my my favorite.
0: It was so funny when we were writing this. I mentioned this about her ending. And it's like, she got rid of her boyfriend at the end of the series. She was like, I don't need you or your dick anymore. Oh, man. I, I still hate it. <laughs> I still fucking hate it. She just gets... Wow, Wild Force and Time Force got us invested in heterosexuality. God damn them. Um, I just, like, we were slightly invested with, like, Shayla's happiness with Merrick and them pulling it together. And at the end, she's like, no, we're on the earth.
1: Ugh. Uh... <sighs> Yeah, you don't leave your 3,000-year-old human boyfriend to roam the Earth. He doesn't know what's going on. He he was around when, like, farming just became a thing. How do you think he's gonna handle cell phones?
0: Or really a phone of any type. (laughs) Right. Or the internet. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Oh, Lord. She's
0: like, no, I don't need you or your
1: dick. Sorry. Uh, Oh, yeah. Christ. Uh, so I guess I kind of go on to our least favorite mentor, because we do agree on this, and you're going to be surprised, because you would think it's Zordon, but it's not. It's it's
0: Demetria!
1: Oh, go on, girl, give us nothing!
0: <laughs> I-, I think what really sums up Demetria the best is when we found out she was from Inquirus, and it was basically, like, I forget what was going on in the episode, but it was like, Tommy was the only ranger left, the mm-hmm. other rangers were having... We're like captured. A bomb was about to go off, killing mm-hmm. them and probably some people in Angel Grove. And then he was asking Demetria for help on the situation because Tommy's kind of dumb, right? Uh, and we we love Tom. Well, we kind of are okay with Tommy, but um, you know, he was asking like for some help because you know things are dire, right? You know, he he can't. He doesn't need to figure things out. And all she's doing is speaking in riddles, speaking in his riddles, and it's frustrating Tommy to no end. Until Alpha Six goes, Yo, 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 she's from the planet Inquiris. You know, like Inquiry, so all she does is speak in fucking riddles. It's
1: like, how is this helpful to anybody? How do you have a normal conversation in, on Inquiris? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, God. And it's just like, it's so weird how she just gets written out. Like, it's just, after Turbo, it's poof. And like, they try it's to, se- yeah, they just try to set up even this, like, Storyline about her and Divatox being like long lost twin sisters, and they they do nothing with that whatsoever.
0: <laughs> like the last time we see Demetria is she goes off to help save Zordon. That's it. And then the Z wave hits Divatox, and we just see her looking like Demetria, and that that's all it. That's all you see.
1: Yeah. So it's like okay, this was uh extremely helpful thank you for for doing absolutely nothing
0: yeah and it's like zordon at least helped even though we are frustrated with zordon's kind of way of going about things Mm -hmm. demetria was just no help she was frustrating she was frustrating to watch right so it's just like yeah she's our she's our worst mentor
1: yeah the the bottom of the barrel
0: (laughs) she's the bottom of the barrel Um, and so this goes into kind of, uh, instead of our odds and ends, we're gonna go some stuff that came up or was just missed in other episodes. And the first thing we wanted to talk about was actually with Mighty Morphin was some stuff with Bulk and Skull that came up recently. Uh, if you haven't, uh, checked that out, uh, Database Ranger ran a couple of streams to help a lot with, uh, voter, uh, issues in the South. The first one was for, uh, I think, uh, a charity getting felons re-registered in Florida
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and paying their fines for that. And then the most recent one was for uh, Fair Fight, I think, in Georgia?
1: Fair Fight Action in Georgia, yes, which is yeah, the Fight organization Action. created by Stacey Abrams following her uh, loss in the 2018 gubernatorial election.
0: I'm still mad about that. I
1: am too!
0: <laughs> we won't go into that. Uh, you've probably seen our Twitter feeds about that, but you know we were around for that election and Fuck Kemp, I didn't vote for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but continue on with the the fact we learned from Database Ranger when uh, Dr. Jason Narvey showed up on the show. Yes.
0: Uh, Dr. Jason Narvey showed up for a bit on the show, which was kind of cool. He, you know, did a bit of the commentary uh, tracks for Zeo and stuff. I think he was on the episode where, like, it was the skull-based episode with the piano and everything. Right. And he talked about like the like how Boakland skull got their fashion actually and mm-hmm. it was because paul and jason were just in the punk shit mm-hmm. and so when it when it came to like them talking to the costume department who also kind of was like oh we kind of want them to be punks they kind of would just like pick and choose what they would wear and i i, I have to knock dr jason Narvi for this i'm sorry but you like the Sex Pistols. And he was just like, yeah, and it just kind of felt like they were trying to make Skull the Clash. And I'm like, the Clash are infinitely better.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But, (laughs) but yeah, it just, it, it just came from like Jason and Paul being punks, like into like dressing like punks and stuff. And it affected how the fashion toys with Bulk and Skull were. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you. Because then you influenced me into Punk fashion
1: <laughs> great job yeah um did we ever talk they- about the the piano episode when we talked about zeo i think we did yeah okay because it was, it was kind of a big important part for skull yeah it was i i still think that's one of the better episodes of zeo honestly
0: oh it, it's it's still one that I just what i love to this day yeah uh the other thing with Bulk and Skull was uh if if you watch the original pilot Skull was played by a completely different actor mm-hmm. and uh we found out through Dr we found out through Dr Jason Narvy cuz he earned that title um is that they recasted that skull because they felt he was way too menacing mm-hmm. and they wanted Like, Jason was a lot shorter than that skull, and he was more funny, and he wasn't as menacing of a guy.
1: Yeah, and I think that balances out pretty well, because it's like, you want, in that scenario, you want Bulk and Skull to be, yeah, especially in that first season of MMPR, you want them to be annoying, you want them to be kind of the annoying bullies, but you don't want them to be the ones making life's hell of the rangers.
0: Yeah, especially, like, since Bulk and Skull, like, at the very beginning, just kind of, like, trying to get the girls to date them. Right. And it's just so creepy.
1: Um, kind of moving on from, kind of, MMPR, kind of moving on to Zio is, uh, Austin St. John's acting in Zio. So oh, my God.
0: <laughs> he already was not a very strong actor in MMPR. No. Like, he was probably one of the weakest actors, I feel. And then, Zeo happened and he is phoning in his already shitty acting.
1: Yeah, he's like, I am here to, for a paycheck and I will leave with that paycheck. I do not care about anything else in between. I am just, I'm going to tolerate Jason David Frank.
0: <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, wow, and especially when you watch Forever Red where he's just a little better. Right. <laughs> totally phoning it in like Zio,
1: right who oh, it was uh it was just something to watch after several episodes, but man who's worse, like him in the like the episodes of Zio he shows up in or Vipra in Lightspeed Rescue, oh my God, <laughs> um, at least Viper seemed like she was enjoying herself, even though she's just crappy, yeah, like oh, she's a awful actor. Yeah, I'm sure Jennifer Yen is a very nice lady, but like she seems so from her Instagram, but she is just she was not a good actor, I am sorry. But like yeah, it's like she at least seems like she's having a good time on set, whereas Austin Saint John, he's he's just there.
0: <laughs> he's just there, he's miserable, he wants to collect his paycheck and go. And I'm like, I've been there, I've been there. Yep. The only time I will em- empathize with Austin St. John is, I have been there just wanting to collect a paycheck and leave.
1: Yep. Um, And then kind of moving on is the joke we kept making about it during In Space was the Virgin Andrus versus the Chad TJ. Because
0: <laughs> Cause Andrus is like, oh, my sister's missing. Or, oh, my sister's evil. And just like, I'm not going to like mingle with the other people oh I guess Ashley's hot you know I'm gonna be jealous of Zane for like an episode and And it's it's like also Zane's
1: a more interesting character but
0: Zane is a way more interesting character and then you have TJ who's like I came up with how to like defeat the first Psycho Ranger
1: yeah like TJ is still actively interested in leading the team while Andrus is just like okay I guess you're here (laughs) I'm
0: dealing with my trauma, but it's badly written.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, the other, th-
0: the other thing we want to bring up is we forgot to mention this line in our Lost Galaxy episode because it was like the other line. It just had us going like, "Oh my god, this is just Lost Galaxy. This is this is how it goes." Because the the other line was, um, "I never should have trusted that in Mutiny," which is just <laughs> like that is total peak Power Rangers. To name a character, Cat Mutiny, and have that line in.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. It's just wow.
0: The other line was just delivered in all seriousness. Was uh, there was um, you know, something approaching the the Lost Galaxy uh, you know, thing. I forgot the name of the space station because Terra Venture or Yeah, Terra There's a- like, something approaching Terra Venture. And, it, it, you know, it was asked what it was, and, you know, here's Mike saying in the most serious way ever, Well, it's a castle sitting on a dinosaur flying towards us. Just, just completely dead serious, just like I never should have trusted that Captain Mutiny. And we were just dying.
1: Oh, Power Rangers. <laughs> um, We also noticed in Lost Galaxy is that whenever there's kind of an animal-themed season, there's a kind of a, run, a certain run. Um, yeah, with Lost Galaxy kind of turned into a little bit of a Naruto run.
0: <laughs> we just kept on making fun of, like, how it's like, like, yeah, the broke is the Naruto run, the woke is the Lost Galaxy ro- ro- <laughs> run.
1: Okay, and then moving forward to Lightspeed Rescue, we did run a poll while we were, uh, watching Lightspeed Rescue, uh, to determine who was the biggest himbo in Lightspeed Rescue. Um... And, uh, we would like to say, well, when we say himbo, we mean we had Joel, Ryan, Carter, and Chad. Uh, we, we will note, Joel won in a landslide. <laughs> um, yeah, he
0: <laughs> completely landslide, uh, with followed by, like, Ryan, but barely behind Ryan was Carter and Chad. Like, it was basically, like, Joel, and then, like, 16% Ryan, 15% Carter and Chad. It's like, you all just voted Joel.
1: Yeah. Um, and they're all himbos, but, like, Joel is indeed the king himbo. King himbo king. supreme.
0: <laughs> king himbo supreme, Joel. Yes. Uh, and then I would like to extend an apology out to Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is because, and it's something we didn't know in our Time Force episode, but me and, and the rest of the wrestling fandom, we've ruined the word daddy.
1: Yes, you did. Yes, you fucking did.
0: <laughs> and Nadira says it a lot.
1: Yeah, it, to the fact it took me a second to realize. Oh, she's calling him daddy because, th- like, Francis is, a- is her actual dad. Not because she
0: is into hot older men who are beefy.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I get it. Vernon Wells. He's he's got kind of a, he's got a little bit of a look. But like, I was like, oh, oh, god, this is gonna be a thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I accept I, your apology, Jules.
0: <laughs> about two weeks later, after this is published, I'm going to have a, a, a post about Samoa Joe being daddy, though.
1: I I just know it in my soul.
0: I'm going to break this apology.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. I know.
0: Uh, on a happier note, we want to bring up uh, something we for- completely forgot to mention in Wild Force. Because we were just so entrenched in the mythology of it and all. Was the Dear
1: Zord music video! Oh my god. Okay, so if you've ever gone to, like, a Korean karaoke place, and, like, you know, they have, like, the music video- They'll have, like, a music video on the screen while you're singing along with the karaoke, and it's, like- you know, serene fields or water or ducks on a water, or in the case of that one time I sang I Would Die for You a karaoke, it was an entire dance sequence. Um <laughs> uh but so the Deer sequence is like this just this karaoke-esque music video on a green screen with all of these nature scenes happening behind Shayla and Merrick and it is the funniest shit
0: it's supposed to be this very serious moment because they finally like get it together to sing to this dear sword and everything and it's just like oh my god what karaoke thing is this
1: yeah it's like i can't take this seriously <laughs> and it's supposed to be this really beautiful moment this is the first time merrick and shayla have really gotten it together in the series and oh god that's <laughs> It was like they had a green screen they were going to use it.
0: <laughs> they were going to use it and they they got this stock footage and they were going to use it.
1: Yep. Uh bless them. Uh another thing from Wild Force that was just that made us laugh but it was like kind of minor so we forgot about it when we did our coverage was um a, a, a character we call Sensei Salaryman. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Cuz he he was uh basically like um
1: like, he was a friend of Alyssa's dad, right? Dad, yeah. yeah. He was a
0: b- friend of the In relay family. And he was kind of talking a lot about, like, where the In relays are going to go with uh, Alyssa moving, you know, going to college and stuff like that. And who's going to take over the dojo. And it was kind of, like, the reinsurance and stuff. But we were just like, wow, you have a salaryman haircut.
1: Yeah, he just looked like this total, like, salaryman dad type. Where he's just, like, he had kind of this, like, bull cut and, like, the... Um, like the BCUs, uh, sorry, the BCGs, birth control glasses for anybody who didn't grow up in a military family. Oh, um, ah, the birth control glasses! Yeah, I just, like, that, 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 yeah, it just was not a good look. And it was just, I, I just died because it's like, okay, I can kind of see this guy as maybe, like, an older guy running a dojo, but he looks like more that he's just been re- working at the same, like, office job for, like, 20 years. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my god. Um, and, uh, last thing we want to touch is the Battleizer thing is sometimes we remember it and sometimes we don't. I think we just kind of agreed that the reason why sometimes we don't remember it is if it doesn't feel intrinsic to the plot or if it just feels way out of line.
1: Yeah, like, you know, sometimes we do mention the Battleizers because they're just absolutely fucking hilarious. Like, like, Eric's, like, rollerblade ones. <laughs>
0: And, just, just the entire time, Force Ones were just bad.
1: Yeah, and like I like the one from Wild Force because it actually felt like it went along with like the theme of the season. But and, like uh,
0: you know, other ta- like Lost Galaxy, the only reason why we remembered that stupid battleizer, which I don't think we, it was airplane based. I think
1: yeah, which is like okay, how does that even work with either Ginga Man or this current theme? um But. We were just mostly pissed that Corone did all that work and
0: Leo got the battleizer. It's
1: like, thanks, thanks a lot. Um the Andros one was still hilarious though because like not hilarious enough to mention, but still hilarious cuz it was like that that that, that cast formed muscle suit <laughs>
0: Because he didn't have abs like Serlin Ward.
1: Yep. Selwyn Ward, (laughs)
0: first black leader of the
1: Rangers. (laughs) Christopher Cayman Lee did not have those abs, so they just made that. Yeah, and so, yeah, I think the Battleizers, they just kind of come up whenever we, like, remember it. And if, like, the Battleizer is memorable in terms of just, like, the look or the sheer what-the-fuckery of it, and most of the time it's going to be the sheer what-the-fuckery of it, yeah, I think... You know, I, I, like if it, if you hate the fact that we sometimes forget to talk about the battleizers, like you know, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're we're more of a plot and character podcast, and we are talking about like suits and the toy gimmicks and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: and though the the whole story about the the adding in the bike into Wild Force will still always be funny because
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the, the the episode it's added uh, kite slash animus just goes here's this bike. <laughs> And the next episode, it just destroys Serpentera, and it's barely used again.
1: Yep. All right. So that's kind of the stuff we wanted to touch on. So we're going to move on to some fan questions. Um, Yeah. So yeah, thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Uh, I think it was mostly through Twitter. Uh, I'd like
0: to... Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to note real quick, we do know a lot of your first names. We're just, for for the sake of you and whatnot, we're just using the Twitter handle.
1: Yeah. So this first question comes... Actually, this first few questions come from uh, at Space uh, Space King Bobby. Uh, so he asked, first question, if you were tasked with creating an original Sentai, what would your team theme be? Cars, animals, etc. And if you choose something like animals, what animals would you choose?
0: Um, So I'm not going to go f- too fully into it because I have actually developed my own team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would like to eventually write someday like something based on the cardinal gods of uh of chinese mythology so like a firebird you know a turtle two dragons uh, uh a white tiger mm-hmm. um and it, it, this is just because i loved to see yuki a lot when i was 11
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's kind of <laughs> the only reason i just am obsessed with this so that's that's so it's like yeah uh and we'll mythical beings, i guess and uh the, I am not trying to offend cis men by pointing this out. This is one of those I have just noticed of how the more creative cis men in uh, Power Rangers engage in their creativity. is You guys like making teams, and good for you? That's actually kind of cool. But I, I noticed it's like a predominantly cis male creativity thing. And I just wanted to point that out. It's like, huh, that's how you guys do your creativity. You guys make up teams, and that's that's sweet.
1: Um, honestly, I would go with Irish Mythology. Um, sure, Mystic Knights of Na Nog already exists, but there's a million dinosaurs in car season, so I can definitely do an Irish Mythology one. Um, I had written out, like, a list of, like, I think would be an interesting, like, core base team, but I can't pronounce half of the names, because I don't speak Gaelic, and I'm not looking it up right now. Um, but yeah, I would love to see kind of, like, a high fantasy season, like, Or a high fantasy team kind of more based in Irish mythology. Because I think that would be fun.
0: And the next question is, have either of you read Zodiac Starforce or the Power Ranger comics? You want to go first?
1: Yeah. So for me, it's been ages. But I have read the first arc of Zodiac Starforce. And I remember really liking it. Plus, I am a fan of Paulina show both as an artist and a person. Uh, I still need to read the second arc though, and even though I think like their their main antagonist, he's absolutely beautiful. Uh for the Power Rangers comics, I am not I'm trying to not get too far ahead of where we are in coverage for the podcast, though I do know where some things are currently happening with it. So sorry if that's not really a satisfactory answer, but I kind of am trying to not get too far ahead in terms of where we are.
0: Uh as for me, I feel very, very guilty. Because I have all the issues for Force, Starforce, uh, and I, I have, like, the second arc, too. I just need to finish it, and I'm not even through the first arc, so I'm very sorry. I am I am probably just notorious of just getting comics and just sitting on them until, like, the thing's over with, and even then, it's gonna take me years to finish it. Right. Um... Uh, as for the Power Just Comics, uh, I'd like to get back into it, uh, minus the stuff we have covered, because mm-hmm. I I did get into it when it first was coming out, particularly Go Go, because the art was just so fucking gorgeous, right? Um, I just kind of have a yeah, like I have a bad habit of just having a pile of comics, be like I'll read you eventually, and then four years go by,
1: right? Um, okay, so our next question, actually, this is gonna be our last question from uh, Space King Bobby. Uh, is Fuck, Marry, Kill, Zed, Astronema, and DBI.
0: I went, fuck Zed. Uh, I'm kind of into the monsters, so he's, he's kind of alright on the sign of fuckability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd marry Astronema, uh, because she's fucking rad, but I'd marry Carone. Carone's the adult. Right. Astronema kind of feels like she may be 16, and I'm like, eh, I'll marry Carone when she's 18 or something. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, uh, and plus, like, if you go with the comics canon, like, astronomer is just another side of her personality, so...
0: Yeah, so I am totally for way older Corone. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because, I, I actually, I think she's supposed to be, like, 18 or something. It feels like Andros and her are a lot older. Yeah. Uh, but it, it still feels kind of weird, but the reason why is, like, I don't- I didn't want her to die. I love astronomer so much, so I'm yeah. gonna marry
1: her to spare her life, I guess! Yeah, marriage of convenience. <laughs>
0: Marriage of convenience because I'd kill Daviot because I, I was like I don't care much about him. Yeah,
1: Um, I will say my answers are the same though. It's a very hesitant fuck.
0: It's a very hesitant fuck at Lord Set.
1: Yeah, part. I'm just like oh, he just seems like he's gonna get the like fluids on you that the are the type of fluids you don't want on you. Yeah, <laughs> like no, I'm not into
0: that. <laughs> yeah. Again, I like to say I'm not into marrying children. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it, it,
0: <laughs> I'm dating someone older than me, and I've always dated within my age range. Okay, guys. Yeah. I'm not into that. It's just, just like, well, I don't want her dead, but I don't want to fuck her. Yeah. So I guess marriage.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay. So let's move on to our next question.
0: Uh, Sentai Juliana asked us. Uh, we kind of did a remodification of this. Uh, we talked to her about it was a Forever Red recast, and we are using the Saban era. Uh, make up an anniversary team of Power Rangers. Uh, the stipulation is no problematic actors, and each of us has to make up a team. So my team is, forever should have gotten more char- more character shit, and we're doing, like, a team of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that also came in the stipulation. And kind of the, the thing is, Billy sends out a call to help on Aquitar. He needs a Ranger team for a month to help out the equations. It's a hard, um, it was a hard call, like, and the people who actually answered it were people I thought deserved more time on the TV show, and that is TJ and his Red Ranger form and Turbo, because he, he deserved more than the, the baked in the giant pizza moment. Yeah. Tanya, as in the, the Yellow Ranger from Zeo and Turbo, just like there's a kernel of a good idea with Tanya, and it just never really did much with her. and I just want her to shine more, and I'm like, Yeah, legit, cat, most definitely. I am bringing in the picture because, yeah, she had that really great introduction and everything. And then it's just like, Oh, look at her shadowing to Tommy, and I just want her to be away from Tommy and having her own character, legit, uh, Damon. Uh, he, cause he, he just deserved more than that stupid dork stealing his idea in Lost Galaxy. I felt like he needed more time in Lost Galaxy. Right. Uh, I'm stacking up my, my yellows with Katie, uh, cause Lucas sucks and Katie rules and Katie definitely deserves more time. And rounding it out is my last ranger, uh, Ryan, the titanium, cause wow, you did nothing with that titanium plot. Yeah.
1: So I, so my idea, I'm calling it Rangers of the Multiverse, So um, I am going to pull one thing from the comic because, like I said, I do kind of keep up with things that are currently happening in the comic. So I want to have Grace Sterling, like, putting the team together. Um, So Grace Sterling in the scenario would be played by Toa Feldsha from uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and uh, Star Wars Resistance. Um, So she'll be kind of the older, like, very esteemed businesswoman vibe, but wouldn't take shit from anybody. And Kendall Morgan from Dino Charge would be running point to help stop a crack in the multiverse that could destroy the Morphin grid. Uh, so obviously our first one is going to be Jen Scotts because she is the most competent leader in Power Rangers history. So she's obviously going to be uh, put in charge of, well, leading the charge. Uh, our next choice, uh, my next choice would be Taylor Earnhardt, our yellow from Wild Force because she's a bitch. She's a boss and she's going to punch the baddie straight out. So she's going to be kind of our Captain Marvel boss. Uh, Uh, muscle of the team uh third is going to be carter grayson because he's good at following orders and getting things done so him and taylor can be total bros they're they're the captain america captain marvel vibe of the team Uh, fourth this is where this is going to be the only uh choice me and jules intersect on and that's going to be tj johnson because he needs a redemption arc because i really like him and he needs he like said he needs a better plot than getting baked into a giant pizza um <laughs> <laughs> number five because i'm predictable is we're gonna have our reluctant powerhouse legacy ranger that they desperately need to pull it all together and my choice there is gonna be kimberly Hart. um i especially if you kind of get her to be like a little bit of an older kimberly not quite like the ranger slayer but like you know she's she's kind of she's spoken of in whispers yeah. <laughs> and like she shows up and everybody knows who she is because even though she, like she- yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm saying she deserves those whispers spoken, not not Jason. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like she's spoken of in whispers, especially for like even amongst the multiverse of Power Rangers, everybody knows who Kimberly is. And then <laughs> number six. <laughs> okay, Jules said I could do this, and this because it's my team, and I can do what I want. My six ranger is Alex Shelley. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll retroactively make him condor black or black condor from whatever Jetman would have been in the States. Cause I'm already pulling in grace from the comics. So, and it's in the comics canon that some other sentai teams were also power Rangers. They just, you know, we never saw their adventures. So yeah, he's, he's our, he's our bad boy. Sixth Ranger. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Alex Shelley. Yeah. Um, all
1: right. And
0: I'll off. Our next question comes from, uh, Alaska reads comics. Mm-hmm. Alaska reads comics on Twitter, and it actually does have to do with professional wrestling because it was asked if you had to cast any professional wrestler as a Power Ranger villain, who would you pick and why?
1: Right. So my answer to this is I would love to see Sasha Banks as kind of an astronomer-like villain who has the right amount of camp, but also tortured and dramatic, uh, and I think she would just be very good at that kind of part. Plus, it would give her room for a redemption arc in the next season of her becoming a ranger and actually getting the fucking battleizer.
0: Because, <laughs> yeah, imagine Sasha Banks with a fucking battleizer. Yeah,
1: it would be rad as hell.
0: Um, My pick, and I'm not just saying this because he is my absolute favorite fucking wrestler ever, it is Christopher Daniels. And it, it really is not because I love that dad too, death, It's because, he, like, his TNA run, he was just the right amount of cheese... And the right amount of menacing mm-hmm. to be a Power Ranger villain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's how he was at TNA. I loved his shit and everything, doing, like, especially torturing AJ Styles and everything, or Eli Skipper. Right. <laughs> like, he was just really good at that. And I'm like, oh, God, he'd be a great Power Ranger villain. Uh, not only that, he rocks kind of an evil villain look role, especially some of his TNA gear, uh... The one I'm, like, thinking about, I'll probably look into the show notes, is, like, it has this weird, like, asymmetrical cape and shorts, and unfortunately what does not make it is he has this real bad mustache with it, but, like, the the entire cape look is great, he just had great looks, and, and kind of, like, the bald head and, like, face, he just looks menacing, even though he's kind of a sweet old dad.
1: We can kind of give him one of the looks that he wore during the, the Waterworld like show he was on uh, he was at, at Universal.
0: Yeah, like that that's something we could probably do. Like it's just like he definitely just has everything to do to make a Power
1: Ranger villain with. Yeah. And then our final question here comes from Video is Video. And it's a question for the both of us. Uh if you could be among any one Ranger team, which would it be and why?
0: Uh we both actually decided uh it, it came from, originally I originally had decided to light speed rescue, mm-hmm. but we really eventually just ended up with, we literally would want to be around Wild Force in the Animarium.
1: Yeah. I think the Animarium is one of the most interesting settings in Power Rangers. And I would just, I would just love to live there and maybe have a party there at some point. Yeah. Um, party,
0: uh, hang out with like Cole and Taylor and um, Shayla and uh, Alyssa. Uh, we would probably like to sleep in a different area though than Danny and Max.
1: Yeah, because they are just—they are very clearly children.
0: <laughs> they, they would definitely ruin our peak hour of consciousness. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, I'm not. No, don't fuck with my vibe.
0: Don't <laughs> fuck with our vibe. Yeah. You know. Um. So now we're just kind of getting to the wrapping up all this. Let's talk about how this era ended. Yeah. And it was very interesting. It is um, Margaret Letch and Saban and I think Rupert Murdoch, right?
1: Yeah, Rupert Murdoch was involved in this because he did technically own uh Fox Kids, the Fox Kids Network as part of and Fox Family, because as part of the Fox network line. So there was kind of this thing of they bought
0: the family channel. At the time it was a Pat Robertson and like it was a Pat Robertson family affair. Mm-hmm. It was very Jesus y and all that. And they bought that and they made it fa- Fox family, but Pat Robertson was very uh, his his lawyers basically stipulated that the 700 Club just needed to still be there because of the clause.
1: Yeah, and it's still there to this day now that the network is known as Freeform. Um, yeah, it's like...
0: And it was something that, uh, as we later get into, it was just always ever-present there no matter where the hands changed.
1: Yeah. Um. If, if You've probably seen viral posts of Freeform just being like, look, we don't want him here either. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um... So this is where things get interesting and where I say, like, TV executives are fucking wild. Mm -hmm. And Saban was just more of a gambler than Michael Jordan, I feel like, at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, he took this big rich because I'm going to put a big allegedly on this. Allegedly. Allegedly, because it just interviews and everything we are able to look at with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels like Saban went in on this deal. And kind of went, either I can turn this channel around and make a lot of money, or I can sell it for a lot of money.
1: So enter the chump Michael Eisner, semi-fresh off of his Euro Disney and park failures, allegedly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, we'll get more into this when we are getting into the beginning of how the Disney era begins and everything. But essentially, Michael Eisner uh, was desperate for a channel... That wasn't their flagship channel. It was something that all cable providers could provide. Mm-hmm. That wasn't on a premium cable package. Uh-huh. And and flagship wasn't doing too well, but enough that it drew the eyes of Eisner mm-hmm. and uh, Saban. Basically, got the lion's share of that deal.
1: Yeah, he became a billionaire overnight.
0: He became a, you know this is a months of negotiation. He became a billionaire overnight. Uh, he may like act sad in the toys that make us that he had to sell Power Rangers, but I'm like, I don't think you're that sad.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, you're sad. Go cry into your pile of money. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and the only huge thing about this deal
0: was he couldn't do anything with children's programming for a while. I think several years mm-hmm. he couldn't do children's programming. It was basically a non-complete clause. Uh, and. However, he was allowed to be a liaison for the like the season that they were about to put into production, which was Wild Force. Right. Again, this is why I considered Wild Force a Saban era, because it was the last that Saban and his crew touched.
1: Right. Um. However, this is kind of where Margaret Lesh gets the short end of the stick in all of this. So she went in with saban on buying it buying the the family channel and turning it into Fox family, so that way like they had like a specific network for fox kids um However, when she like after the deal was done, she basically got edged out because half of the control went to Rupert Murdoch and the other half went to Saban, so the power dynamic shifted, and she basically got ousted, yeah, um. But yeah, that's gonna be the end of the Saban era, so, uh, how are we feeling about it?
0: I'm still feeling a little weird about this era, because when I originally wanted to do this overview, I kind of wanted to be like, oh, you know, blame this season or whatnot, Uh because I used to kind of hate it, and I got kind of bought into the what's better, Saban or Disney, and that shit's still going on in fandom, and, and, uh... And it's kind of dumb, I feel. Mm -hmm. But rewatching it and analyzing and really looking at it, it really wasn't as bad. Uh, It's definitely got a rough start, especially the first five seasons. Yeah. uh, Of it trying to figure out... MMPR through Terrible are just so rough to get through. uh, Because it's trying to figure out what's going on mixed with trying to go with its audience. Right. But by season six, and it was oddly the first cancellation season because Power Rangers is like TNA, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Um... It really became something neat. I still have more of a fondness for the Disney era. I think the Disney era has more well-constructed seasons. Mm -hmm. but And that's something we'll get to, obviously, when we get to it. But I feel like this laid... This is a pretty solid era to look over as where it came from and the solid foundation it laid for everything going into the future, including what I liked about the Disney era.
1: Um, yeah... (sighs) watching this ser- this particular part of the the series it was weird watching it um as someone who's wholly divorced from the 90s nostalgia of power rangers uh in the beginning when we were watching MMPR it did feel like a carryover from 80s television where the toys were the first priority and the story was second or sometimes third um however as time went on it felt like the people working on the show became more invested in creating actual stories for both good and bad I can't say it was all good or all bad, but I feel like as time went on, it became more than just the flashy kids show to sell action figures.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely, I've warmed up, done it, and yeah, we, we can definitely see that now we have the groundwork of what's to come for the next two decades of Power Rangers.
1: Yep, and I'm looking forward to it, weirdly all enough. All right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, um, so that's going to be it for this episode. So as always, we'd like to thank Kate Nix for composing our theme. You can find her on Twitter at IamKateNix, and I believe that's also her Instagram. Um, and you can also find her at katenix.com, where you can find her Bandcamp, her merch, and streaming, which is on twitch.tv slash katenix. <clears throat> uh, as of uh, when this episode is coming out, Uh, The Lullaby Rounds is currently in reruns, which you can catch Tuesday at 8 p.m. They'll be back with more free-range, organic, artisanal streams in March, though. Um, And as always, Joe Hunter for the art that you see whenever you stream or download our beautiful podcast. Uh, You can find him on Twitter and uh, Patreon at Joe underscore Hunter, uh, as well as on Instagram of Joe Bloody Hunter and on Threadless at JoeHunter.Threadless.com, where he has lots of fun and interesting designs. And uh, he is also uh, still working on Beast Heart Strikers with Land Pits. And you can download and buy those issues on Comixology.com. Uh, and Kurt Yoder for editing our podcast, as well as coming on to this episode to explain the history of Saban and uh, anime. You can buy his perlers uh, at Great SG Creations, or just reach out to them directly on Twitter at the Great SG. Um, our wrestler of the podcast is going to be uh, another WWE wrestler, but we still really enjoy him, and we're very happy he's going to be part of the, um, the G Four revival. Uh is gonna be Power Rangers mega fan Xavier Woods. Uh you can find him on Twitter at uh Austin Creed Wins. Uh because Austin Creed is his other name as part of uh Up Up Down Down. You can find Up Up Down Down on YouTube. And yeah, he is he's fairly easy to find and he is a very interesting follow. Um yeah. And also, fun fact: uh, in his early days of NXT, he did advertise himself uh, as—sorry, he did bill himself as coming from Angel Grove. Um, And for as for me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at at @MissKittyF. I'm on Twitter a little bit more often, but same name goes across the board. Um, You can also find my work on Gumroad and uh, itch.io. Just search for Ashley Likewell there; I'll pop up. And then, uh, as always, you can buy my masks and zines, physical zines, on uh, ashley Uh, It's usually going to be my pin tweet. Uh, there should be a link tree on my uh, Twitter profile as well, linking to everything uh, by the time this episode comes out.
0: All right. As always, you can find my Instagram at jjackets, as well as my Instagram for the cats that I need to update uh, a little bit more, which is and Cats, where you can find Koda and all of his companions. Uh my Twitter is Sins with the number two, mm-hmm. as in the two Hell. Uh and then um my Etsy again is the great SG Creations. I do Perl Art with Kurt. And I also have a Gumroad, which currently sells like a comic and probably some zines coming forward. And that's JSS Rights uh eighty seven. Yeah. And then you you can find us at Rangersplain at any uh podcast streaming platforms. If you know of a new one, we'll reach out and let us know uh but you can find us at rangersplain at twitter and instagram and also at wordpress at rangersplain.wordpress.com uh and um again most most uh podcast uh services have us uh just leave us a ranking and everything that helps the algorithms
1: yeah the algorithm um, and we do have a Patreon, we need to be using it more, and we're gonna be looking more into how we can handle that in the new year, but if you're interested in that, we are on Patreon at Ranger Splane. Um, so, well, that's it for the Saban era! Um, uh, next month we are finally free of Saban, and we can finally get started on the Disney year! What the fuck? Oh god, it's a package from Ninjor. Oh, save me, what now? <laughs>
0: Greetings, Ranger-Splain. It's your best friend, Ninjor. I found this going through my tapes in the basement of the Temple of Power and thought you would enjoy it. Hope to see you again soon. Love, Ninjor.
1: Oh god, what is it? Rip the band-aid off. It's VR Troopers. Oh, that's actually not that bad compared to the other things Ninjor sent us. So, I guess we'll see everyone next month for a look at Saban trying to capture that Power Ranger's lightning, VR Troopers. Stay safe, remember that Black Lives Matter, and may the power protect you.